Hello, hello. Welcome to the Eddie Conversation Podcast, episode number 14. My name is Eddie V. Hill, and I am your host. I am a filmmaker based out of Los Angeles, California. Happy to have these extended chats with a variety of people that I think are cool, and I hope you do too. This podcast is available in video form as well on YouTube. You can find it by searching the Eddie Conversation podcast there. If you do want to watch along versus just listen, also be sure to subscribe or leave a review if you do enjoy listening to this podcast. It does help the show and help others find it. And without further ado, let's just jump into it. Episode number 14 featuring Tyler Borns. Great, welcome. Thanks, Eddie. <laughs> yeah, so you are Tyler Borns. So I'm told. <laughs> I, I think of Tyler as a, what, I'll call you a writer-director. Okay. Um, also, cinematographer mm-hmm. and owner of Tyler Borns Studio. Borns Productions. Productions. Cl- close enough. <laughs> oh, it's been a bit. It's been a bit. I'm a it has been a bit. <laughs> Um, but feel free, I like to ask my guests to kind of maybe elaborate on that if there's anything uh, missing, because I don't... No, you mostly hit it on the head. I mean, I, I wear a lot of hats, and I've had a really kind of versatile career, but everything from producing, directing, a little bit of writing, um, you know, running the studio here, and with that work, it's mostly kind of like cinematography and mm-hmm. um, producing type work, and then editing as well. So, a lot of different things. Yes. Okay, so what? So the question, the reason I, 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 I like to think about people in terms of like their overall, the big, the big dream goal sure. almost too, where it's yeah. like a lot of the work you do is the cinematographer side, yes. but my, the bulk, the bulk of my experience with you, at least on set, is like, all right, sweet, I got to be your assistant director, mm-hmm. um, while you were the director, writer, mm-hmm. producer, <laughs> everything, you know, uh, on uh, on Desert Shadows, mm-hmm. and um, we've talked about your dreams and what what and that kind of stuff. So I don't know if uh, I don't know if that's changed or not. But what is uh, no? The... It's mostly kind of what we've talked about before. Where like, and it, it's always because I got into the the video industry, started kind of messing around with cameras and things like that, um, kind of late high school, 16, 17 years old. And really since then, and it hasn't really changed much, is directing's always kind of been the dream. That's mm-hmm. where I feel happiest and where I feel like my creativity is most kind of out in the out in the world. Um, I really started to get into producing for a while, so I was like, oh, man, like producing, directing would be great. But mm-hmm. the more projects I do, the less I like producing while I'm directing. Yeah. You know, when you wear a lot of hats on set and you work with small crews, you you have a lot on your plate and you can get spread thin really quickly, um, which isn't great for creative juices. So yeah. um, just being able to focus on directing is the, the dream, but movies themselves are, you know, the dream too, even though we do a lot of different work from documentaries to commercials to tourism to corporate and music videos. Mm-hmm. But um, movies and original content, we could call it, is you know, why I really like to live at. Right. Okay. So I'm thinking about like, I don't know. I, I had some thoughts in there, but, um, because you mentioned producing, 
Let's talk about producing okay. a little bit. I Sorry, know. I know. I'm like a spider web, so it's like, <laughs> where do we start? All right. So <laughs> I, when I think about producing, and like you said, like producing, directing seems like in the beginning, like the thing that you, it's like, sweet, I want to direct. Mm-hmm. If I want to be a director, producing the stuff for me to direct kind of gets, kind of puts me in it's that It's necessary, chair. yeah. So, yeah. all right, sweet, I'm here doing it, and it's only because I'm producing it myself that I'm yeah. here doing it. But... Let's. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like the the bi- <laughs> the bigger the project, the more that's needed on the producing end to get it done, yes. right? And that's yes. kind of where the headaches come. Is like, all right, sweet. When I was doing like the weekend thing, exactly. The- I mean, they're, they're, you're right. No, there's a lot of different layers of producing. Am I just pulling in a couple crew members and a couple locations and then shooting for two days? Like that's that's easy enough. Um, but do we have a 30-day schedule, a 60-day schedule, even a, a week-long schedule? Do we have set builds? Do we have clients to manage on top of it? Do we also have like the concept and getting that approved by, um, and sometimes it's even multiple layers of clients because mm-hmm. we work with a lot of ad agencies. So you have the ad agency client, but then you have their client right, too. Right. Um, so you're working on keeping them happy but while still trying to make it as best as possible within mm. within their world and then dealing with, all the other flaky stuff that just happens in our industry with crew members falling out or, you know, actors falling out or getting sick or, you know, looking way different than their headshot or, you know, any, anything like that. (laughs) There's so much there. There's so much. I know. know. (laughs) All right. I'm thinking, all right. Um, (laughs) Wow. Because I don't have much experience. I have, I have experience being on set with, with commercial work. Mm -hmm. How is it, uh, how how is that like when you talk about the making... commercial world? The commercials are kind of cool. Um, I like them more and more the more I I do them, especially like when you come from like like the long form like narrative documentary stuff. Mm-hmm. You're in that world for so long, and you've got you know anywhere from a, even a ten minute short has you know hundreds if not thousands of shots even in that, and you yeah. know it features just its whole whole other ball game. But in a commercial. 30 seconds you know so you really get to kind of focus on the quality and I'm a total perfectionist so being able to be really really nitpicky mm-hmm. and really kind of hone in like how can we tell the story in 30 seconds in an effective engaging way for the audience that also accomplishes you know the client's goals because that's that's, the that's what I always go back to like in my world like I mean in a perfect world like you want to make it exactly how you envision mm-hmm. it and people hire you a lot of times for your vision, yeah. um, but people forget that like when you're getting paid, when you're getting, um, when, there's, when there's somebody above you, you have to not only answer to them, but make sure they're getting what they want and they need, and they know their product best. And so you can, you can add in your thoughts, you can add in your suggestions, and it's just a fine line of when do you fight for more, knowing that they'll be happy with mm-hmm. it in the end, or when do you kind of step back realizing like, oh, I would like that way more, and I think that would be better but it's not what they need and it's not what they they want and being okay with like releasing and not making them feel like you're taking over but still making them feel like they're getting yeah. value out of the whole reason they hired that, you that's a tough part for me cuz that's that's it feels interesting when often the people that are in that and what the client people or the agency people aren't necessarily they don't have like a film background or a production background so yeah trying to explain 
what you're going for can sometimes, I don't know, if it goes over their head sometimes. Well, or... and they're, they're all different levels of experience and all different level of taste. So you work with some some ad agencies that, that know exactly what they want, that have really clear visions and you're, you're more executing. Um, and then sometimes you work with people that have no idea what they're doing but and they they think they know what they want and they just don't really understand the process of getting there. Um, and so it can just get a little messy. <laughs> yeah. For lack of a better way to, to say it, I guess. Yeah. That's rough. Yeah. It's interesting. It just, you know, that's what's cool about this whole industry, though, is this everything, every job is so different. It's different people, different personalities, different, like, projects. So, you know, each has its kind of own unique sets of challenges and its own kind of world that you get to play in. Mm -hmm. And if one is frustrating and you don't like it, it's short term and you get to move on to the next one. So, yeah, it's true. Okay. It's true. So, I want to let's jump back and uh, talk about coming up in, in, because right now we're in, we're in Reno, mm -hmm. Reno, Nevada. And um, I wanted to talk about, I guess, like just the Tyler Bourne's empire. And, <laughs> not, not quite. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. Just like, I guess maybe, I don't know how often you're approached on advice on like getting started in the industry mm -hmm. or the Reno market and how it plays, but mm -hmm. what, uh, what kind of, what, what stuff you've done to make sure you're in a in a position to succeed? Or like, how did how did how did that kind of stuff come to you? How did you learn to be a businessman and do all, like how did that how did that happen? Well, I had a weird, or I've had a weird career path. It's very much still kind of on whatever trajectory it's it's on. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, like when I first decided, like like I said before, you know, at 16, 17 years old, um, video. That's like go back a little farther for context, I guess. I've always loved stories. Stories is like, ever since I was a little kid, I loved stories. I always had a big imagination as a kid, whether it was with mm -hmm. Legos or writing mm -hmm. or, you know, anything like that. Um, I just didn't know what outlet to kind of put that into. I thought maybe like, ooh, I played video games a lot as a kid and mm -hmm. oh, maybe I'll make video games or, you know, things like that. And then I randomly took a video production class in high school and was like, holy shit this is it. This is how I tell stories. And I think I took the class for a month before I was like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. This is the next 80 years for me. Yeah, this is Done. it. Um, what, what grabbed you in the class? Like what was, uh, I think it was just realizing like, like I said, with that background of stories, it was just like, Oh, what a cool way to bring those to life. And how rewarding is it to think of something and then not only be able to see it yourself, but then show it to other people too. be like, mm -hmm. Hey, here's all these crazy ideas in my head. Look, now it's, now it's real. I can make people feel a certain way. I can visually dazzle them. I can. That's just. It's rewarding. Was there was there a particular project you remember doing in that class? That was like... <laughs> I had a lot of weird projects. I did. I counted it up. I did a hundred short films while I was in high school in the in the two Ooh. years, and I did a um, feature film, like a seventy-two minute feature film. And then my senior project was actually a writing project where I wrote a film that I, I haven't produced yet, but. Um, so I did a I did a lot of content there, and that kind of started my path of like and workaholic, that, never stopping. And that was high school. That was high. That was high school. Okay, but what? So those weren't all like your class projects. Like that. No, was no. You would you do were... like I don't know. 
every month you'd have a different project you would work on or every every mm -hmm. every couple of weeks so like me and a, a good friend of mine um just love he also loved doing it and so we would you know any free time we had that's like what we would do for fun we'd go to like the park by my house and be like hey let's do lightsabers today let's get these sticks and pretend they're lightsabers and then we'll go into editing and we'll go frame by frame adding like a light beam because that's the only way we know how to do that yeah, right yeah, now yeah. or like we did like a claymation once where we're like hey let's make a clay chicken and then blow them up or mm -hmm. I think we made like a Mortal Kombat style where you have like the health meter things. Right, it was all right. a bunch of just random, horrible, horrible stuff. Yeah, um, but it's but, fun. Um, but it's fun point. and it got the creative juices going and you know, every project mm -hmm. you, you learn on. But I was really fortunate to have a really amazing, uh, amazing teacher in how supportive he was. That he was the kind of teacher that if you were hungry, if you wanted it, he would present all the opportunities for you. And then it was up to you to take advantage of them. Mm -hmm. um, but luckily for me, I, I was really hungry and he saw that. So he kept finding all these amazing opportunities mm -hmm. I never would have found. So I got out of got out of high school almost getting like a college education just of like video. So that was what was weird when I was looking at film schools because it was like all the like I'd waste my mm -hmm. whole first year just repeating what I've done. And then I get into the stuff where I would I would learn more. But it was like I'm an impatient person and so it was like man a whole year to just like yeah waste I don't know if I can I can do that well especially um, if you almost you like you said you got the equivalent of a film school education on your own doing your own stuff mm -hmm. I don't know if the thought went to like well why don't I just keep is that where you landed? Like, why don't I just keep doing the stuff? Yeah, that I'm already I mean, doing? yeah, because I had a lot of success in that I too. I don't, need, I don't need film school. <laughs> a little bit, um, you know. We're all a little bit of an ego as a kid, right? <laughs> um, and I had as, a lot as a kid. Uh, as a kid, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's totally gone. Um, and I had a, I had a lot of success in those early days. I did. I don't know if you're familiar with Skills USA. It's like a big mm -hmm. vocational competition. They do like culinary and graphic design and and video and. Um, we got second place. We won state one year, and we got um, nationally. We got second place um, against all the other schools. Just me and um, the other guy I was teammates with, and then um, we got fourth place out of like thirty at like a music video competition. So we got enough where it was like, okay, something's here. You know, I'm doing something right. But um, I knew I wanted to do it. So LA to me was always like the place. That's where mm -hmm. everything's happening at. My parents really wanted me to go to school. You know, they really, you know, thought a college education. I did well in school. You know, my grades were good mm -hmm. and I had good extracurricular. So I, I, I could have gone and I had no desire to. And so we kind of landed in this happy medium where I was like, okay, I'll do a community college. I'll, I'll do LA City College and I'll take some film classes there. But I'm going to work at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so I, I moved down mm -hmm. to LA and I had done like a, like a week-long camp at UCLA Film School a couple years prior. So I had a stack of business cards. Didn't know a soul down in L.A. And so I, I got there and I knew I'd be taking my classes. I tried to take all night classes um, to kind of keep my schedule as open as possible. And I just called every single one of those business cards like, hey, you hiring? Hey, you hiring? Hey, you hiring? And um, got down to the very last card in my, my stack. And um, I called him and he the guy, uh, Keith McNulty, um, also a good friend of mine, um, he uh, runs a grip and lighting house out of, out of LA, um, right across from Wooden Nickel. Anybody that's in the industry mm -hmm. in LA knows Wooden Nickel. Uh, they're the, <laughs> they're the, the budget place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, where you, that's where you start gear rental wise. Um, and he was like, um, 
when can you start? I'm like, as soon as you need me. He's like, cool, be here tomorrow at 8. And then I think I worked every single other day after that till I moved out of LA um, for him. Mm -hmm. um, just doing like a ton of stuff from teleprompter to camera operating to grip work to um, eventually got like some technical director jobs. So you're working like in the uh, in the rental in the rental house? Or? Yeah, yeah. So any day I wasn't on set, I was um, checking people in and out equipment wise, mm -hmm. which was a great way to learn all of the you know. C stands and flags and rags and yeah, what they're and all lights. called and yep, and we had people are picking them up and stuff. Yep, and he moved into a new facility like right after I started, and so they had a studio space, so I helped them kind of get that built out. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, I'd do like studio stage manager stuff too, so shoots would come in and I'd be there. Do you need an apple box? Do you need mm -hmm. where's the closest restaurants? Like you know, um, you know, make sure they're not breaking shit, that kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. So it was just a really kind of well-versed, well-rounded education there. Um, but sorry, way kind of going down a rabbit hole here. But That's great. Um, but I learned, or I realized, and it was hard to get on set in that, that first semester because it was like, even though I was taking night classes, you know, the mm -hmm. classes were from 6 to 10 p.m. That way I only had to take them once a week. And uh, even then it was so hard to balance that with going on set because you, I mean, when you shoot, you don't know your schedule. Usually you're like, this could be an eight hour day. This could be a 12 hour day. This could be a 20 hour day. And so it was a little hard to get like on, on set as much. But when I did go on set, I realized I learned more on set in one day than I did in that entire semester. Mm -hmm. And so I was mm -hmm. like, okay, screw it. I'm, I'm just going to work. So I did, did finished off my semester and then I was like, I'm just going to work full time, full time here now. And mm -hmm. it was great. Mm. I liked it a lot better. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, yeah. That's a uh, that's the that's the moral of the story quite often, right? Like mm -hmm. it's um, getting on set and learning by doing is the yeah, and it's uh, you know it goes back kind of to your earlier question about like people getting started. How do they get started? And the biggest question I don't hear it as much now, but I used to hear it mm. all the time is like should I go to film school? Right? Mm. That's always like the biggest question when people are getting started because it's expensive. You know, it's really, really expensive to go to film school. And I think the answer just depends on you. You know, I think it depends on how you learn. Do you need a structured environment one? Um, or are you more of a go-getter where you can, because not everybody can strive on, you know, doing it on their own. Mm -hmm. Some people need a little bit more structure, a little bit more of a push. Um, and I think in film school, you do get some good experience. You do get around the equipment. But I think the biggest value you're, you're paying for out of film school is the connections you make. Yeah, the is networking. Your, yeah, yeah, the networking, the classmates, the alumni. So making sure you're going to a place where you're actually going to be around other dedicated, talented people. Because as their careers grow and your careers grow, um, you know, you call each other, you talk to each other. And that's been true forever. I mean, you look at... George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola and all the people that they worked with, you know, they were all in schools and it was all, it was all who you know. The world's just a little bigger now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's the only reason to go to film school is, uh, yeah. is the connections. And um, is that worth 200 grand you're going to pay in? <laughs> well, because like I think about, I've been on set with some people that recall like going to like usc and like oh yeah i went to school and ryan coogler was in my my class <laughs> right. and i like helped him on his project and then you know where ryan coogler is now top of the working with marvel and working on yep. black panther 2 coming up and stuff and he still got people around him that he met in film yep. school and whatnot and you're like all right 
but then you feel bad because he, he doesn't pull you up with him or whatever. Yeah. It's like, wait, what about me? <laughs> Hold up. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think about, because you mentioned structured environment or go-getter mentality. Mm-hmm. And I think about just even just the freelance life in general, you have to have the go-getter mentality to, like, survive in the, like, yes. to... to poke up in people's radars you have to like have that mentality so i'm like right. i don't it's like, uh, i feel like i think where my mind goes is like when i talk about structure i think more um like the uh the studio side of things and the union side of things mm-hmm. if you've ever worked on a union set it's a lot more like structured like i put in my time i did this i did this um compared to the um the indie world where it's like whatever it whatever it takes whatever mm-hmm. I got to do mm-hmm. um, to to make it happen. So that's where I kind of see those two paths, yeah. kind of like where you can still make it if you if if you don't have that go getter. There's still there's still a path for you. It's just different. <laughs> well, path. I feel like you still have to work your way out of the indie <laughs> world to build up the to build yeah. up the experience to join the union anyway. Yeah, and that's where you can get the the cushy lifestyle of just showing Fair. up and. Having a little category of like this is my space and Fair. and some of it's circumstantial, right? Like that's what's so funny. I mean, not just about the industry, but life in general. It's like all it takes is to meet one person, or somebody hands you a boom pole one day, and you're like, "Well, this would never happen." But somebody hands you a boom pole one day, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh my god, I love sound. I want to do. I want to do this." That happens. And I joke so. about that because anybody who holds a boom pole knows it's the worst job. So maybe it's more your sound. Yeah. Thing, so. <laughs> Sorry, boom operators. <laughs> no, I think. I think that that kind of stuff does happen, though. Like that, that's where the, the like those for fun projects or those mm-hmm. you're helping out. Even like if if you're not going to film school, there's still like lots of opportunities to end up on set helping film right. school projects. Yeah. And those people are always desperate for like, yeah. for instance, like we need a script supervisor or mm-hmm. whatever. And it's like, all yeah. right, well, I guess I'll just go and show up and like hey can you like take notes for us and it's like all right i guess i'm doing this and yeah and did you ever and did you ever expect like your path to to go that way like before you first got handed kind of the the script supervisor role did you ever like when you decided you were going to be in the industry Mm -hmm. like did you dream of being an ad and scripty (laughs) sorry well i know you don't like that oh yeah how dare you (laughs) how dare you um no I, i i tell people quite often actually like I didn't know what a script supervisor was until I was like three years into doing myself producing and in the because. Go ahead. I, I know was, <laughs> it's a lot of background leading up to. Go yeah, because I was doing a lot of a lot of short films and stuff mm-hmm. for self producing and working with uh, the Reno community to just be making stuff and getting that experience and I would end up. Like, I was one of the, the few people in Reno that was available to freelance, like, as PAs when mm-hmm. stuff would come into town. So I would end up on different sets and, like, all right, sweet, I'd pick up, I'd pick up new, new stuff. I'm like, all right, sweet, I know what a hot brick is now or what, whatever <laughs> the case is. And then I come back and I'm like, all right, I remember witnessing that AD. I looked at his schedule or, mm-hmm. or her schedule or whatever mm-hmm. and uh, take it back, put it into practice. But script supervisor was, like, a, a rare very specific narrative, bigger narrative, uh, like bigger team narrative kind of luxury position. And uh, yeah, I didn't, 
learn about that one until way late in the game on like I knew a little bit of what that when I was handed the tasks of doing the script supervisor job, I'm like, oh sweet, I've done stuff similar to this mm-hmm. with uh like the slate, for instance, like the script supervisor is in charge of the slate. And I'm like, all right, I've seen slates before. I've mm-hmm. decided what goes on a slate before, but I didn't know what the structure was. Sure. And this person's in charge of it. And, uh, but until I got the, the real deal handoff on, uh, on, Mus- on the Mustang, um, and she, she walked me through what I needed to do and then told me, after I gave the notes back, that this is what I do now. I'm like, all right. I'm like, I guess maybe. Must have done something right. Maybe she sees something, and there's something here that I didn't know was here, and then just kind of going for it based off that niche, that niche thing. But I did not know that jumping in to answer your question. I didn't know. Which I think is so cool, right? That like. When you get into this, you don't know where your path is going to end up. Because there's so many you paths. Know? Am I going to end up in visual effects? Am I going to end up in an AD role? Am I going to – maybe I'm going to end up on camera. You know, mm-hmm. maybe somebody was like, oh, jump in the background of this scene. It's like, oh, I actually like acting. You know, you just don't know. And mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I always think about personality and, like, your personality dictates where you're going to end up almost primarily like yeah, good point. you kind of um if you it's kind of weird like there's a back in the before times when you could meet up with people and have, <laughs> the before times <laughs> is that what we call it now <laughs> bc before covid yeah yeah <laughs> there's a script supervisor group um in los angeles we would do like monthly meetups and mm-hmm. uh being that script supervisor is a one-person department mm-hmm. i never get to be around other script supervisors to see how they work right. or any of that. So this is like the one time where I'm like, all right, these are the personalities of people that do my position on other sets. And like, it's just really weird <laughs> being around a script supervisor. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's just, it's just weird seeing like copies of yourself around. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, we all see things kind of similarly. Mm-hmm. And it kind of freaks me out. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so... I don't know if you experienced that with. Uh... Oh, I do, and it's it's interesting, and I I don't get a ton of opportunities, but when I do, I totally try to, or I don't get as many opportunities now, mm-hmm. but I try to soak it up when I do because I don't get to witness other like cinematographers as much as I'd I'd like to, because right. um, there's so much, there's always so much more to learn, you know, and I everybody's got different techniques mm-hmm. and little little tricks and 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 ways they do things. So when I do get those opportunities, I try to yeah. try to soak it up as much as possible. But it's a little intimidating too, you know, uh, not intimidating. Um, it's like an insecurity thing a little bit too when you see somebody else doing. It, it's like, oh, could I do as good as that? <laughs> Would it be? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I wish I could. I wish I could do it. I wish I could do it more. But there's just you're time. Di- you're too you're too busy. Times times a problem. <laughs> yeah, time. But I got to work. I got a cool one a few years ago. The project itself was pretty basic. It was just a um it was like a humane society um promotional video. Um but the DP that the director brought up and I was um we provide production services so we'll do um like grip and uh G&E rentals. Um camera rentals that kind of a that kind of a thing, and so we we were providing kind of services. So I was I was the gaffer on that project, and mm. that DP was already kind of starting to get some success. And right after we finished that, he really kind of exploded. So he got featured in American 
or in uh, American Cinematographer Magazine is like mm. one of the top up and comers. And then he just DP'd the film uh, Fat Man with uh, Mel Gibson. Mm. Heard a lot about that movie. Yeah, I need maybe. to. I need to watch it still. It's it's high on my my list to check out. Time mm. time is a problem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but so I keep thinking back. I'm like, man, okay, what was he doing? Because obviously it was working well. Because he yeah. does. It's like everybody's yeah. got their go to techniques. Like DPs especially. Like some people like swear by full grid diffusion. It's like they they live by it. Some use like a ton of like grip and flagging and other people you know use use a lot of bounce light like um that dp the um the gentleman that uh did fat man um he used a lot of like book lights you know where you're bouncing off muslin and you know through, mm. through more diffusion and so it's it's cool to kind of see everybody's kind of go to and yeah like that's kind of, kind of i never again because there's so many elements that dictate why a person works it's like a lot of people put a lot of stock into like, I don't really care about their personality. I don't really care about their, like, as long as it, like, or even their efficiencies. Like, as long as the shot that we get, because sometimes you have a whole list of shots that you want to get in the day. And because. Or always. <laughs> and because, let's say, like, one, one cinematographer is great at hustling and, like, knocking out all the shots in the day. But it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're, it feels a little bit more winged where it's like, all right. This is good enough. Let's shoot it. Mm -hmm. Move on to the next. Yeah. Others that really put their foot down and like, no, I'm going to make this really like we're going to make this good. We're just going to get less of them. No, and that's an awesome point, and actually something like we could go way deep into because mm. it goes back to what we were talking about with ad agencies earlier too, and with every project requires something, and it's a balancing act. And I haven't had the luxury of living in the world where it's like, no, like what. What I want, I I get. Like I don't care how long it takes, you can deal with it because I'm talented enough to, sure, sure. to do it. I haven't gotten that luxury yet. <laughs> um, in the in the world I've I've lived in is that um, efficiency is your responsibility. Um, so when I get hired mm -hmm. as a cinematographer, or just as much as a director, because the director. Um, you know, it's also up to them, you, you know, kinda, with, you with, with the support system around, you know, such yeah, as the, you, the you dictate when it's, when you're ready to move on or whatever. Yeah. Or... And I think it's, it's a responsibility, like maybe focusing on the, the DP role, it's a responsibility to your director, um, to work fast enough to get them what they need. Cause at the end of the day, you're supporting the director on a project. All the other roles in my mind always support the director and then the director supports the actors. But on the crew side, you're supporting the director. So I need to make it look as badass, as awesome as possible. Um, but if I start going over time, that's now cutting into their time. That's cutting into their time with the actors. That's mm -hmm. cutting into their, um, their coverage. Maybe they mm -hmm. don't get as much um, cover coverage bec because of it. And I think that's where my, kind of uh, being in all the roles since since I've done editing mm -hmm. work, since I've done writing work, since I've done directing work. Since you've acted. I, 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 yeah, <laughs> I realize the consequences of your of your actions mm -hmm. with that. And it's a picking your battles. There's uh, That's not to say like never go over time. Sometimes it's like, no, this is worth it. It's going to be, it's going to help the project enough to spend the extra time doing this. Yeah, and that's You a, just have to know the cost. And that's a collaborative discussion right there too. Yes. You're not just you're not as a DP deciding that. Exactly. You're, it's director, AD, and DP typically. Yeah, it's like a ideally a pre-production discussion that you're having. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but things change on set. Yeah, I mean, for right? sure. But it is the and I'm and it goes back to it goes to what you were talking about too is some people go in and they're more like, "Oh, we'll figure it out as we go." And I'm 
I'm way more structured. Mm -hmm. um, like I think ideas come to you on set and you're foolish to ignore them, but um, the more pre-production, the more everybody can be on the same page when you go in, the more prepared you are. And then when those problems do pop up, you're, you're, it's an mm -hmm. easier shift than the whole day being a shift. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think about like um, experiences with certain DPs where um, like let's say if I'm not if I'm not directing and I'm script supervising, I gotta just be a little bit more on the uh, the outskirts watching the process. Uh, I've noticed some directors put up with stubborn DPs because the visuals they get at the end of the day are like crisp. While yeah. lit, and I'm like, but it was a struggle. Like, in the moment, working, like, watching them as a dynamic, I'm like, that does not look fun, and they're, yeah. they're clashing all the time. Yeah. But then for some reason, the director at the end of the day is like, but like, look at these visuals. Yeah. And I'm like, but look what you had to work through to get those. That's a pain. Yeah. And then they bring them back. Yeah, and I think that's why you do see so many, like, especially if you look at any of the credits of your favorite movies you notice directors work with the same people as much as possible. Because I think once you find that person, you kind of latch on because it's like, okay, here's somebody that has the mm -hmm. balance. Or maybe it's like you said, here's somebody that always makes it look good. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, to me, I don't like to operate that way personally. And to, to each their own. I mean, if somebody, if that's worth it to them, I think we're in the same, the same mm -hmm. mindset here is like, and I also do this because I like it, right? Like I love making films I like I love making video so if the process isn't fun getting there and it's not to say like it's not exhausting or tiring or there's not right, moments, right, but if right. it's not like fun like what's the what's the point because you can have fun and still make great stuff <laughs> yes we're on the same page with that yeah. for sure for yeah. sure I'm trying to think back to where we were in your story <laughs> oh we went like <laughs> we branched out pretty good there you probably asked, like, what's my favorite <laughs> breakfast? And then we got talking about, like... <laughs> um, so we were talking about high school and then film school. I think that's where we branched off. Yep, and yeah, so I ended up at the, the Grip and Lighting House, um, which was an incredible experience and another awesome person in my life, um, Keith McNulty, who um, I owe a lot to because he... Um, oh, I, I totally know where we left off or where, where this is going. I, yes. it, 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 caught, right. it caught back up. We're, I'm, <laughs> I'm on it. I'll try to, to tighten it up a little bit. But, um, but Keith was an awesome mentor to me, and I've been fortunate to have a few people in my mm. life over the years who um, have been really, really awesome mentors. At that time, I really just wanted to direct. So all the things I was doing there was to make myself a better director, mm -hmm. to learn the grip side. I mean, I take a makeup job, I did a cue card job. I mean, anything that would make me more knowledgeable when I did get those opportunities to direct is what I wanted to do. Um, but at the same time, he had a, um, a great business model and he had stage rentals and grip and lighting, lighting rentals and he, um, he hired out crew. They didn't do like as much original production, a little bit more, but when my career transitioned from being a crew guy to all of a sudden running a, a company, which is a, a story in itself. Those experiences watching how he operated his mm -hmm. business, mm -hmm. um, you know, how did he make money? How did he find crew guys? How did he deal with, with clients? Um, those all became insanely valuable to me because I didn't have business experience. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a business degree. I didn't have that, that education at all. 
And so it's taken a really long time to learn that side, and it's been a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, just because I didn't have, you'd have them either way, but I didn't, you know, I didn't have those classes. I didn't know. I didn't know what you could charge. I didn't know, you know, how to deal with mm -hmm. the client. So that was kind of like the biggest exposure to, here's a way you can make all these things kind of work. And it was a little bit more of a, a scrappy approach, but a smart approach. And I, so I adopted that when I did decide to start my own company in Reno. Um, I was able to kind of bring all those, those yeah. lessons, lessons into that. Yeah, for sure. I was going to ask about, so you, you spent your time in LA mm -hmm. and how long were you there for? Two years. Two years. Yeah. And. It felt like I was there for 10 and anytime I think about it, I was like, no, it was only two yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When. <laughs> I just did so much while I was there. <laughs> yeah. So then you made the decision to come back to Reno, mm -hmm. but still pursued the same dream or did. Yeah, did that... I, um. I never expected to leave LA. Like once I moved there, um, I expected to fully do it. And LA was going really good. It wasn't like, oh, I tried, mm -hmm. I, I failed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That wasn't the situation. It was opportunistic where um, some producers I had met while I did live up here were, um, were trying to get film and, and video kind of going in, in the northern Nevada area. And I still had some family here too. So there was extra benefit to that. But they, um, I would still do like DP work and directing work for them on projects. Um, you know, here and there I'd drive, I'd drive oh, back gotcha. up well, while, li while, li while LA living still, in LA. Yeah. So I kept that connection alive. And so they e offered me um, at 19, 20 years old, equal, equal ownership in a studio, um, a studio, <laughs> quote unquote, in Reno. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. I was like, that, that is incentive enough to, mm -hmm. to leave. That sounds great. So I was, you know, starry-eyed, and that all sounds great. Sure, and sure. The equity stake. Yeah. Yeah, and it was like being a part of building something, and we're going to bring all these movie projects here and have all these actors and, you know, going to direct. It was a lot of promises that. Um, oh, the classic promises. The classic promises. And it was a big lesson learned for me. Because um, eight months later, all my savings was gone. I had made less than $1,000 in, in eight months while still working every single day trying to get it off the ground. Um, and all the promises that were, were made that didn't come to, to fruition. Um, and it just, it, it was a big kind of falling out because it was just, um, you know, I was kind of kind of cheated out of what the, <laughs> the expectation was, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, but over that time, I learned a lot about kind of the community in Reno and nobody usually likes, I shouldn't speak for everybody, but typically people, you know, don't love where they, they grow up. But then I think you learn to appreciate it over, over time. And when I came, came back, I was like, man, I actually really like Reno. Mm -hmm. You know, I actually really, I like the people here. I like how close to the mountains you are. I can get to LA, San Francisco, everywhere really, really quickly. And it's kind of the, I don't sit in my car for three hours a day. That's mm -hmm. pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, well, you know, I don't have much money left, but um, you know, I got a camera and I got some lights and I got, you know, let me see if I can get enough work to survive here as a freelance guy. Mm -hmm. um, and if not, I'll call it a learning mistake and um, tuck my tail between my legs and head back down to L.A. I'm sure my boss will, will take mm -hmm. me back. And so I did that. I kind of did like the freelance camera operating editing thing and picked up uh, GE Energy as a client. They have a big like billion dollar division of their company down in Minden and picked them up as a client. And that's kind of when the epiphany hit me where it's like, 
well, I could actually do this. You know, I could actually like, I'm, it's a big fish in a small pond a little bit, you know, in the, the Reno area, but it's like, there's so much less competition and I can do, I can be in a bigger role here and have a little bit more control over projects. And um, so that was, that was the client that kind of made me realize, okay, I can do more. And then through that work um, that I was doing, all of a sudden, like people needed more than just a guy with a camera. They needed extra crew guys. They needed makeup artists. They needed actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what snowballed into, okay, I need to not just be a freelance guy to like, that's going to cap here. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to be more. And so that's when I decided to make it a company and not just like, oh, I'm a guy with a camera and I have a company banner, but actually a, a company that has, you know, employees and all, all this support. Yeah, um, and so that's when I kind of decided to start that, and then just kind of have continued to to grow it over the years into to what it is now, nice. and hopefully where it's going. Yeah. So when you picked up that gig with them, and that was the uh, that was the start of the snowball, like you kind of said, was that a uh, like an ongoing relationship kind of thing, or it wasn't just like one? It was like a, they needed like a slate of videos done, so you're kind of locked in with them for a while. Or? It was. It was through. It was through another video company that was kind of a middleman um, that got that I was I was working through them for mm-hmm. all the projects and then they started to kind of fizzle out. Um, so then I moved into working mm-hmm. with them them directly. But it was it wasn't um, it wasn't like a contract, but it was um, well we had a contract, but it wasn't like a retainer type job. But they had plenty of work mm-hmm. to to go around. Gotcha, gotcha. And unfortunately, as soon as I got them like as a direct client once the other company was like oh well we're not doing it now like you can take it um so i moved in as a direct client and then they moved all their video in-house like a month later my like client (laughs) contact left and it was like awesome i make five times as much money and i got like two jobs out of it and (laughs) yeah 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 um but by that time i had built up enough other clientele and other things that it still like allowed me to kind of be a a springboard (laughs) yeah i mean it still did its job it of, did. Uh, It'd be nice to still have GE energy as a client, but <laughs> call them up. Mm-hmm. It's not too late. It's not too late. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So that's that's the nice, quick. It's still like that's all right. That's the history of Tyler Bourne's productions. Yeah. Productions, right? I got it right that time. Just Bourne's productions. Bourne's productions. productions. Oh, I yeah. knew that. It's okay. People still write checks to me and they put Tyler Bourne's production. <sighs> it still so. works, I'm sure. <laughs> um, okay. All right. So let's jump. I don't know. I feel like the people want to know about uh, a certain movie. Oh, yeah. I knew the question was coming. I know. That's, that's the big <laughs> It's like one. taboo. You're not supposed to ask, right? Didn't I, didn't I put that in my... Uh, <laughs> these are the topics we don't discuss. Yeah, yeah. Desert shadows. And that's he had it. a huge list of no, no <laughs> talk. This isn't even real. He just was... Everybody's been begging him for answers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, hey, ask Tyler. Ask Tyler. Desert shadows. Um, you want to just start with status so or where do you want to... Let's start from the... Not everybody knows what it what it is right? okay uh, your viewership is. so <laughs> desert shadows is a, a feature film that you produced and directed mm-hmm. you wrote it let's uh let's start with the like the the dr- traditional early stuff is what's what's the movie about sure when did you initially start writing it and then we can kind of go from there yeah desert shadows has and unfortunately continues to be kind of like a long road to to kind of like being being the final product that it is um, it was an idea a friend and my myself had. He was he was helping me crew on some of our jobs, and we did long drives down to Vegas for um, the NAB conference, big video conference they mm. do every year, except for this year. 
Um, and so we'd have 10 hours in the car um, just driving through desert desert landscape and we we're just trying to think of cool concepts that you could do around that. So that kind of spurred mm. this kind of like monster in the desert type type concept. And so we started writing um, writing it together and we really wanted to do something that was um, – we were thinking it as a, a web series um, because web series were just kind of starting to – they were still even called web series. Um, now it's just TV is online. Sure. <laughs> um but we we thought that this would be a really good time to do like an episodic thing. So we first started writing it um, as like 10-minute episodes um, mm -hmm. to be this web series. And then he kind of got busy with life. So he was like, oh, run with it. Do whatever you, you want with it. I'm, I'm good. And so I rewrote it as a, as a feature. Um, and it, it, it centers around two brothers who go on a, on a hunting trip out into the, the desert. And one brother goes missing. He gets taken by this monster, this this thing. And um, that brother happens to be a, a drug addict, and so he doesn't have a whole lot of, you know, trust from people in the community. And so when the the brother that wasn't taken goes out um, and starts spewing all these stories of my brother got taken by this thing, this creature, this monster. Not only are they bullshitting the monster, but they're also like, well, he probably just fell into drugs. Like, it's mm -hmm. not, you know, he probably just went off on a bender. Nobody really cares enough. So he's kind of on his own um, to to find his brother and really the only thing he has, has left in his life. And so he becomes just obsessed with, you know, all these conspiracy theories and danger and, and characters to try to find a way to to save his his brother. And along the way, he meets up with a paranormal, paranormal studies professor mm -hmm. and one of his top top students, and so kind of teams up with them to get uh, to get more more answers along the way. And the genre, it's horror. It's horror, but Mystery. it's not. It's not. It's really like it, it's funny because like it's it's everything, <laughs> all, all the above. <laughs> it is a horror film, and it's a horror film because for my first feature film. Um, technically my first I've done others but um I wanted something that could sell I wanted something that'd be a lot of fun to create but I wanted something that could sell and horror is a huge market and there's mm -hmm. a lot of distribution opportunities for it um but my taste has always been drama I, I I love doing dramas that's the world I like to kind of play in um and where I feel I'm I'm best at so with Desert Shadows even though it's a horror movie I always kind of describe it as it's and distributors hate that I do this but <laughs> um they're like don't don't call it that, but it's it's a drama kind of like within a horror horror world. So mm -hmm. it's much more kind of like character based. So you've got you've got all the elements of a horror movie, right? Like you've got the monsters, you've got the gore, you've got the girls, you but got the blood, you got the blood. But at the center of the the story is it's it's really about this character's journey and about his relationship with his brother and the the yeah. struggles that come with that. So within that, it's just kind of like this slow character heavy drama. Yeah. Because I guess what the distributors want is like, no, we bring people in with a monster and you kind of like sneak in the drama, but you're trying to sneak in the, it's almost. I'm hiding it. I'm <laughs> hiding the movie I want to make under the banner of like, hey, look over here, but it's actually, it's actually this. But they don't like me saying that because they're like, don't say character driven horror. That just makes horror fans think there's not going to be enough like horror. heads getting cut off and there yeah, is, yeah, yeah. don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, cool. So when, what's the timeline again? You started writing this. You didn't, I don't think you mentioned the year. God, I don't even remember now. Um, it was forever ago. It was like six, eight years ago I first started writing this. Um, 
And, and that just went into like a drawer, right? It wasn't yeah, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the web series, we did kind of the web series around like 2011, 2012, and then it kind of went into a drawer. And then every couple of years, I'd be like, oh, I should do something with that mm -hmm. again. I should do something with that again. Maybe I should make this. Um, and then eventually, um, it got to a point where it's like, okay, this thing is burning at me. When a project burns at you enough, when you can't get it out of your head, you got to make it. Mm -hmm. And that's always when I know. It's like, okay, it's time to make this one because this is the one I can't so get out of not my, going away. my head. And yeah. so I met, a, and this is kind of the irony of the whole thing, but I met a, um, like a creature designer, a practical effects mm -hmm. guy. Um, I had known him for a while, but I didn't really realize his, his background and his experience and his willingness. And so we were talking, and um, all of a sudden it seemed like for what he could do it for cost-wise and time and his skill level, he was really interested in the project. And was like, well, this actually kind of makes it like doable, because to do... It yeah. is like a horror, it's a creature feature, um, and that always usually, you know, equals a lot of cost. And this first mm -hmm. one I wanted to do, really low budget. Um, and so all of a sudden it was like, well, shit, if I, if I have that element, that makes it a lot more doable to do it for a budget that I think is realistic to mm -hmm. actually, actually raise. Um, and then if I can do the monster practically, like, holy crap, because I grew up on, like, you know, James Cameron, Ridley Scott, like, mm -hmm. Alien Terminator, like, practical stuff. Um, were kind of my influence and so I was like cool I'm gonna do this practical monster movie um, unfortunately he's the big reason why everything is insanely delayed he was the catalyst for it mm -hmm. and the monsters also not practical anymore so th that, yeah. so things changed a little bit along the along yeah. the way but it did kind of spur it into actually you know making it come to come to fruition so it was about almost three years ago now where it was like okay we're doing this we're raising mm -hmm. the money we're gonna actually make this this movie, and then two years ago, almost two years ago, in um, it's December right now, so in March it'll be two years since we actually shot it. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. No, I mean that 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 that's not. I don't feel like it's an uncommon timeline for. Uh... It's not, and I know there's not. I guess I can give more background info, but for me, it's um, because I know everybody wants Ooh, to know yeah, when it's yeah, done. Yeah. It's honestly, it's embarrassing for me because I am in, in I'm a really impatient person and this project's been, um, I mean, it's a huge passion project for, for mine. It's total, totally my, my baby. Um, I'm, I'm way too close to it now. So it's hard to even say what it, what it is until you guys see it. But, mm -hmm. um, but I had this edited a year and a half ago. Like there was a full movie three months after shooting. So I was like, awesome. We're going to get this out by like <laughs> shot in March. It's going to be out by December. We're, we're great, and then it's now we're like looking at two years, and like I'm pushing. Trust me, every single week I'm pushing, I'm mm -hmm. calling, I'm. Um, but just a, a number of circumstances have kind of delayed it. So it's hard for me, just reputation-wise, because that's not how I like mm -hmm. to operate. You know, when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And unfortunately, I, um, I've been dealing with people that haven't been, been operating that yeah. way. But I guess. You're still doing it. Yes. <laughs> it's still, it's still happening. But I, I feel you there for sure, because like that, I. I come from a, a similar expectation on myself where like, mm -hmm. all right, I said it. And normally like I pride myself with my short films and stuff. And that's, mm -hmm. one, that's one of the reasons I'm able to like still do the same thing I was doing in Reno down in LA. Right. Where I'm like, all right, I can get SAG actors and I can get cool DPs and stuff to like work collaboratively. Mm-hmm volunteer based on like a fun weekend thing yeah when like nobody else is doing that mm -hmm. because 
I have the history of the follow through with quick yeah. turnarounds and like you know good quality and all that stuff. So then when something trips up, and I'm like, oh, like I normally have it out like the, the week of the shoot, <laughs> and now it's been like a year. Like yeah. how is this? This is not what I do, mm-hmm. and um, well, so I feel the uh, the pain of that. Yeah, and it's tough when it's things that are out of your control, right? Right, you know, right. it's tough when it's not something like you can just solve on on your own, and um, what the answer is, I I don't know. But it's called, um, it's called money. It's called money. Money <laughs> would be one. Money would be the answer. Um, but yeah, so we. I don't know if you want me to jump ahead to its current status. Or no, let's keep let's, tangenting. No, I like I like. <laughs> um, sure, if that's what's currently on your mind, we can talk about that. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess I can just kind of get that out because it is so. Desert Shadows is something I think about every 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 week because nobody wants it done more than me. I want it to still be as good as it can mm-hmm. be, so it's not like a whatever it takes, like rush to get it done. It's still going to be done right. I'm not going to cut that corner. Right. Um, right, right. I'm not going to make it look bad just to get it out sooner. But at the same time, it needs to get done. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really, really needs to get it's, done. So there's that balance there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's close. It's it's really really close. Um, and it, it's been close, but it's even closer. Um, we have, there were a lot more visual effects than expected, mm-hmm. um, but all the non-main monster visual effects are done. So any um, limbs that are flying off or extra blood or mm. green screen cars or anything like that, all that's, all that's done and in there. The film's edited, the, the sound and music and mixing are all done minus, um, Minus for like the monster effect. So once we get the monster in there, we'll do a second pass mm. on sound and, and music. That way they can actually time and, and see it and Specifically everything. Specifically with the monster moments is what you're referring yes. to. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So that's going to tweak things a little bit. So once I get the final visual effects, we'll hopefully only be like a month or two to get the, depending on their schedules, mm-hmm. um, to get that, their the kind of sound in wrapped up. They're um, busy guys too, so just kind of getting on their, yeah, their yeah, schedule. Yeah. So okay. um, I don't have a timeline for when the monster is going to be done. I haven't been able to receive one, which has been part of the, the mm-hmm. frustration. But um, I, I ask every day. I texted again this morning hoping I could give you an answer. I was like, hey. hey. Oh, I got you. you want yeah, to that, that's the been the frustrating thing. Um, and I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus or anything, but it's just like just getting timelines. Like, it's going to be six months, just tell me. If it's going to be a year, just tell me. Right, right. And I wish... They had told me, you know, when we first started that it was going to be what it was because I keep thinking I'm in too deep to change course. Mm-hmm. That it's like, okay, I'm so deep in though, I can't like change people now. I can't go with somebody else now. But then six months later, I'm in the same boat. And it's like, well, shit, if I knew it was going to be another six months, I would have done it. Could have, I just yeah. didn't in my mind wrap, wrap around that. So I keep getting deeper and deeper in. So I took off um, all the non-monster effects plates and I found other artists um, to do those. And that, that helped a lot. Mm. Um, that really kind of um, got things got things rolling again, but yeah, yeah, that's kind of where it's where sure. it's at. But I'm excited to show it to everybody. <laughs> um, there's rumors that there's a there's a trailer that's cut out there. But oh, there is. You haven't seen the trailer? I haven't seen the trailer. Ooh, Maybe I'll, I can show you the trailer today. Let's watch it live. Oh, you wish, you know. wish. <laughs> yeah, but no, I've yeah. So there's that's cool. But, but there, um, yeah, there is a trailer. There was a trailer actually like. A week after shooting, um, because I went to the Cannes Film Festival for another project I had right after we wrapped production. So I was like, well, I'm going to be in front of all these. It's a market, too. Right, right, so I'm right. be in front of all these sales agents and distributors. Um, 
I'm going to go start, you know, peddling it out to people. So I had a trailer there, and then I've actually made a second one, hmm. second one since two. So there's actually two trailers, Ooh. two trailers. The teaser, and then the uh, yep. the the yeah. official trailer number one yeah. as they line it out these days. Yeah. The other trailer is was for like actual distribution deals when I thought we were closer to being done than we were, mm -hmm. um, like eight months ago. Um, <laughs> but that actually has um, a sneak peek at the monster too. So when you get oh, to see that, you can actually see one of his oh, hero dang. shots. That won't be a publicly released one because mm -hmm. it shows too much, it gives away too much, but it's to sell the... It's for... It's to sell the... It's, sell the it's the distributor trailer, yeah. Yeah. Because they yeah, want to yeah. see what they're... Yeah, so it's not like, oh, I'm giving away a plot point. It's like, no, I'm getting somebody excited, so yeah. they'll buy it and get it out there for us. Okay. But yeah, I mean, for from my perspective, it it does make sense that, that would those would be the elements that hold back an edit. Because I... All too often, I've heard the same kind of deals from like even I always I always get afraid when I hear VFX on set. I'm like, <laughs> all right, what plans? Like, who do you have lined up? What's the what's the deal? And I should know better. <laughs> That's the thing is all my problems during this film. I should know better because I've been there. I've done that, but I didn't. Sure, sure. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean VFX. I always stay away. Ideally, like even on my feature, the only VFX I had was like the in-screen like laptop <laughs> VFX. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't even know how to do that. But I hope I can find somebody because that's right. like, but please, like even like the text pop-ups, like those kinds of VFX. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that takes work if you want to make it look good. Like those, mm -hmm. and that takes time. Yep. And, and when it's not you doing it, right? <laughs> and when it's not me doing it, it's either going to yep. cost money or time or be up to somebody else to control the timeline and yeah um but yeah i guess for to restate the the advice on the collaborative process it is nice to have um that sense of transparency with your collaborators on all right let's let's just be honest with each other this is what i need yeah let me know, um, like, if you're busy, cool, if you're, if, totally. if you're, th yeah, like that. And that's a thing not in, um, not just in the video industry, but I think it's life in general, <laughs> and it's something I preach to everything, uh, yeah, is communication. True. Communication, in my mind, solves everything. Every broken relationship, every um, falling out, um, I, I feel would have been solved just via communication. I feel that's so true on projects too. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. sometimes that's hard because you're embarrassed if you're delayed or you're embarrassed if it's not turning out as good as you want to. But um, if you're working with people, and I think people are a lot more understanding if you explain to them the, the situation, mm -hmm. and then they can help you solve the problem. So that always drives me crazy when it's like, man, you've had this problem for six months. I gladly would have stepped in and helped. Or if this was like too much for you and you just can't do it, Rather than you dragging your your feet and being quiet, like just tell me, like it sucks, but it is, and we'll we'll solve it. You know, everything's got a solution. Mm. Yeah, um, and just you know, so yeah, people uh, people are interesting. interesting. I don't know why. Yeah, it's I I've always had like I've I know I had I've had plenty of like short film ideas based on the idea of like like in like let's say growing up like I would host. Uh, there's always like the little easy hangouts you have with friends and people won't give you a yes or no on if you're going to show up or not. <laughs> and it's like, I need to know who's coming. Are you coming or not? Yeah. Or just don't like, give me a maybe. Yeah. And yeah. then, um, 
I like don't even bother with friends anymore because it's just like it's too hard. I'm like I have to deal with this with my day to day job. Like I've had that happen. Um, actually, for the first time, I, the podcast has been pretty good with people. Reliability being, wise, being really good. Yeah, with yeah. With, with with communication and like mm-hmm. keeping on the days that they said yes to. But it's still. I mean, it happens in all aspects, like you yeah. said. Like I gotta. Uh, like I'm sick text the morning of one of my yeah. <laughs> had one of these set up and I'm like, yeah. hmm, okay. Yeah. Well, and it's hard because like which you know, being sick isn't you know take your time away if you are yeah, right sick. now if you're sick do not come. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but then resetting it up after I could tell like all right well actually now you're being a little bit more iffy on like all right when can we reschedule are you feeling better yeah. and it's like all right well maybe i don't know if it's and to me that goes back to a respect thing too like just because it's your podcast and they're giving up their time to be on your podcast mm-hmm. i think it's also your time wasted too it's not like you don't have a lot of other things you know going on that are eating up your time so i think it's a respect thing no, to, for sure, um, for sure. to do that as well i'm curious though um you know speaking of communication because now you're um, you come up to Reno from time to time, but you're really kind of like firmly implanted in that LA world where I'm kind of working up here and mm-hmm. in Reno, are you dealing with the same like kind of flakiness and communication problems in the work that you're, you're doing there? Or have you found a difference between the two, two areas at all? Are you, are you referring to like when I'm producing my own work and stuff? Or, or any projects that you're around? I feel like I've done a lot of work on myself. Like, I guess, let's say running the Reno Film Collective, for instance. Yeah. And doing, like, before that, I was I was coordinating stuff for, like, the university's running club or, like, you know, getting people together to do a thing. It's mm-hmm. kind of been a thing that I've done for a long time. And I feel like it's been a lot easier. Either it's easier in L.A. or... I've just gotten better at what I do. So it's like that combo of being that there are more people that are there for a reason and dedicated to the craft of like... They take it a little more seriously maybe. They're trying to get their stuff out there or they're just looking for the experience or they want to... Like, yeah, there's DPs that want to be DPs. There's production designers that want to be production designers. And they, they know what they want and they're there for a reason. So when I when they're called upon and they're down to do it, they follow through because they're already in the city. They, they've already shown up yeah. to do the thing that they want to do. So now it's just showing up again, which is easier because yeah. they're already there. Um, versus Reno, which is like a lot of people in the intro film environment mm-hmm. are hesitant about like they don't know what they want to do yet and they, they don't have the experience on set so there's a lot more fear involved on like following through with a commitment because sure. that's just how things are when you are going into the unknown you're like i don't know if i show up and i'm gonna look stupid i'm not gonna know what, what i'm gonna like i don't want to yeah. like that that kind of that kind of thing so i feel like yeah la has been very nice to like once once things are moving i have no issue with keeping people yeah do you think um, your uh, radar for it's probably better now too like you can tell when it's like okay this is somebody that's going to be a, a problem or does that not even no, come come up i i think yeah i think the radar you said radar radar <laughs> yeah i think my radar is or whatever is you want to call it, it yeah my 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 your, scanner. your spidey senses i don't yeah, know <laughs> no for scanner. sure like like i was saying like i feel like i've been doing it for so long 
and I've organized so many things and dealt with so many people and I kind of know what kind of people are serious and what kind of people aren't. Um, I, because I, I try to really approach an interaction with people with being that transparent self of like, this is who mm-hmm. I am and this is what I'm doing. And this, like I, I use the, uh, I don't do the classic LA thing of like, all right, this is going to be like the, this is going to go, we're going to win an Oscar. I'm making this for festivals. <laughs> we're going to aim for those awards. And yeah. like, this is going to, we're all going to get famous off this. And like, whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. like, I don't, I'm just like, all right, this is, this is for fun. Or like just whatever the, whatever the project may be like for the feature. I tried to be as transparent as I could. It's like our budget is like super tiny. <laughs> and this yeah, when is, I say mine was low budget. <laughs> yeah, five, yeah, very small. So I don't try to hide it. I try to lean into it. I'm like, this is yeah. what I'm working with. I want you to know up front, this is like the best I can do. And I'm trying to do what I can for you. Mm-hmm. And I think people just appreciate being included in the behind the scenes of like what you're working with versus like just giving them a number and having that like back and forth of like, yeah. oh, I guess this isn't going to work out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I try really hard to uh, mm-hmm. open up with what I'm really looking for and what the situation really is and, if people respond well to that and are and are open to it, that kind of guarantees uh, that's a good sign. Right. And uh, but yeah, yeah. I wanted to because we we were kind of jumping around on the timeline for Desert Shadows a bit. Yeah. I feel like what people also really want to know in the Reno film community is uh is the the acting side, mm-hmm. um, casting. Sure. Uh, because you know there aren't many opportunities in this town to like flex the acting skills mm-hmm. and uh, and land on stuff. I don't know. We can talk about how you did cast the film, mm-hmm. and then maybe advice on uh, if you have any on on getting on a on a director's radar, what you look for in actors like that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah gladly. So we. Mm-hmm. Um, so with this film, you know, I was really like I was saying with the horror genre, I was trying to make sure it was as marketable as possible while still being a strong, strong film. And so it was important for me to get a couple name actors in there from a, a selling point. So I always knew there were a couple, one or two roles I always knew were gonna go to a name actor. So like our, um, the professor character is played by Mitch Pileggi. Why do you, um, you air quotes professor? I don't know. <laughs> oh, there's video too. I thought it was just a podcast. <laughs> um, so our professor, now I'm just thinking about that. Turn me off. Uh, is played by Mitch Pileggi, and that was a role um, we, I, I knew from the get-go that was going to be my name actor. And then if I got any others along the way, cool. But that mm-hmm. was always, the role was designed to be shot in, you know, three days. Mitch uh, Pileggi. Mitch Pileggi. And for those who aren't for, familiar. For those who aren't familiar with him, he's most famous for playing the role of Walter Skinner in X-Files. And he mm-hmm. was in every single season of X-Files and every every film outside of uh, the two main roles. He's the, he's the next biggest. So that's his nice. most famous, but he's also been in Stargate. Um, for uh, people that don't watch some of the older shows, he's also in um, Supergirl. He played mm-hmm. a villain in the latest season of Supergirl. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been in American Horror Story. Um, he's going to be in the new... Uh, oh, he plays the grandfather in Supernatural. Okay. And then he's then going to play... Um, 
the father and Walker in the Walker Texas Ranger mm. uh, reboot. Mm. Um, so he's 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 all over yeah, he's yeah. all over the place. So he was our our name actor, and we were super super lucky to to get him. Um, and then beyond that, there were. Um, my, my goal with this was always, cast was always really important to me. You know, I think acting is one of the things that can go bad really quickly in indie films. Um, so it was really important for me to have actors that were believable and not corny and, um, you know, were just talented, skilled people that had good, good charisma on, on screen. So um, we did a mixed casting, both Reno base and then the rest of the U.S. and Really, for that, the it was I'm trying to think of how to how to word it. Um, every we auditioned for every other role in Reno. If we found something, if we weren't getting what we needed, and the role was big enough, we would then go to L.A., New York, San Francisco, mm -hmm. bigger bigger markets to get them. But it had to be a role that could warrant that. So it had to be like one of the title roles or, you know, a character that mm -hmm. was big enough. We're not gonna bring in somebody for a day out of out of town. So all the yeah. all the single day roles, which there's a lot of them, all went to local local only. Cause I, I, I am a big supporter of the Nevada film community, but I wanted to make sure this didn't just feel like a Reno project that this felt like a, mm -hmm. you know, legitimate, much bigger budget film than it actually actually was. So I think that was a really, in my mind, I think that's a really cool opportunity for the Reno actors to audition alongside people that are also auditioning for million dollar projects all the time. Um, but then when getting onto set to get to work across from um, not just talented people, because there's a lot of talent in Reno, but people who, um, actors that have a lot of experience in, in a lot of projects too. So I think that was a cool opportunity mm -hmm. to kind of bring everybody, bring everybody together and you know, show them that. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Your second part of that question, I guess, was what do I what do I look for in an actor? Yeah, how do you know? Um, for me, it's um, that they're grounded, um, that they can make me feel something. Um, you know, Reno's got a lot of a um, lot of theater background here. A lot of the actors are heavy mm -hmm. on theater background, and there's nothing wrong with that. But in film, you, it's it's much smaller. Mm -hmm. It's the nuances of your your face are it's a lot different. So that's something I really watch out for when I'm, I'm auditioning is um, the little things they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What can they, what can they tell me without saying anything um, is huge. And then how do they take direction as well? Mm -hmm. So um, anytime a director asks you something in an audition, um, it's always important to keep in mind that it's not because they necessarily want it that way. Sometimes it's just to see if you can do it mm -hmm. in a different way, just to see if you're directable, you know, how much can we actually, actually mold um, so if I so if I like somebody in an audition or if I see something I'll you know I'll, I'll give them notes sometimes just to see if they can take the note and then sometimes to see if they could play a different character they might be auditioning for one I'll be like hey why don't you try it like this and it's because I'm actually thinking of them for somebody mm. for somebody else too um, and then just following the normal professional stuff too. show up to your audition on time mm -hmm. you know 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 how to slate act act professional don't be you know, don't be overly giddy, you know, be into it, but don't be, you know, just, you know, act, act, act like a professional. That stuff act goes like, a really Act like you've been here before. Act like you've been here before. Yeah. You know, this isn't the project where, you know, we're not looking for people that have never set on a set before. This is a real professional mm -hmm. film and that, that matters. I mean, cool for you. You're getting your feet wet. That's great. But like this film is real. So if you want to play, you know, at least pretend that you, you've been yeah, there. Yeah. Show up you to know. play. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. 
So you were able to, um, were you able to do in-person auditions for all the roles or like all the ones that like, let's say the Reno roles, you, you were in the room. For there were that? only, let's see, there were only three roles, three or four roles that didn't audition. So Mitch, of course, wasn't on audition. Mm-hmm. You don't audition. Once actors get to a certain point, you don't audition them anymore. Yeah, you just you, want them. You either want them or they not, or not, and you know their body of work. You know if they can pull off what you need them to, to pull off. So he didn't audition. Another fun actor we have in there is Bill Farmer. He's been mm-hmm. the voice of Disney's Goofy for 30-plus years, and uh, he's a huge horror fan, so we got him to do a little cameo role in that, so he didn't have to audition. And then um, a friend of mine, um, or I should say he's become a friend of mine, um, a guy I have a lot of respect for is Richard Leacock. And he's an actor out of L.A., and he's also been doing this for a very long time. He was on the show Doc with Billy Ray Cyrus mm. and uh, Lake Placid, good classic horror film. Um, but super talented guy. I worked with him on a project a few years ago, so I knew exactly what I would get out of him. Um, I, I knew how he was on, on set. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I didn't have to audition for him because I knew he fit exactly what I, I needed for it. Outside of that, everybody had to audition in person. So our main actor... Um, came up from uh, Vegas. He had ties mm. to our um, amazing casting director, Justine, who you've had on the podcast mm. before. Yes, Justine um, Reyes. Yes, so I could big thank you to her for introducing me to, to him. Um, so he actually flew up for auditions, which was great, and that also showed his dedication because since he was the title role, he was going to be required for every single day of filming. And I think we were 21 to 24 days somewhere in there. Yeah. I think it was 23 Uh, or 22. It might've ended up being. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that was really, um, that role had other considerations from like a dedication standpoint um, that kind of came into that role. And then um, uh, the lovely Emily Sweet was an LA submission um, and that was a role, she plays the role in Morgan, and that was when I wasn't sure if um, we were going to go Reno or elsewhere. We had a couple good, um, couple good Reno choices, but just schedules didn't really, didn't really align, and then Emily really kind of blew us away with what she brought to the, mm-hmm. the project, and she brought a really great body of work and just um, a big horror kind of scream queen fan her, herself, yeah. too. So she did video auditions. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for hers. And then we met in person prior um, a few times as well. Prior to the casting? No, prior to filming. We casted okay. her just based off um, off the video. Off the audition and then off phone call. We did a phone okay. call with her as well before casting nice. her. But, yeah. so, okay. I don't know if that's a full answer. but <laughs> I think it is. Um, I like to think about... Uh, so it sounds to me, let's say as an actor, let's say from an actor perspective, I'm like, all right, so... Like, let's say for Richard uh, Leacock's character, because um, he was the, he's the only one that kind of came on who you had previously worked with before, it sounds like, from that description. I mean, as far as, like, the bigger roles, because... Yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah, so yeah. it's either like, all right, when you have a chance to be on a set and do, and do your job, if you do your job well, and you get the attention of that director, or even, because I don't know if... Were you, what was your position when you worked with him prior? Were you directing the stuff that I he was, was a part of? I was directing on that one okay. as well. Yeah. All right, so you already had that. Yeah, I didn't cast him. There was a producer. That was a TV show pilot. Yeah. Um, so the producer for that was kind of like it was a pilot, but he was kind of the pseudo showrunner as well. So, yeah, so you... I was directing but didn't have as much control. But he cast him, and then I loved my experience with him. 
And yeah. so when I was running through my head, I was like, oh, you know who would fit this really well? Oh, for sure. Because uh, he had the charisma of the character and just that kind of veteran yeah. presence. Yeah, because let's say for me even, I was going to say like as an actor, mm-hmm. you don't know who's watching you on that day. Because mm-hmm. like, I'm sure you've had plenty of experiences where you're just a cinematographer and you're like, if I'm directing a thing, oh, yeah. I might want that person. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And it's your on-screen performance, but it's how you treat the crew too. Mm-hmm. It's, it goes back to that professional um, that's huge with me with an actor on set um, is just professionalism. Mm-hmm. It goes a really long ways, but you know, people, because you, you, especially when you're doing a feature, you're building a culture too. So you need people that are good at their jobs, both behind the camera and on camera, that look the part. Um, but you need people that are going to keep a good environment because you know, if you're in this case, we're spending four weeks with each other. You know, we need to not kill each other by the end of it. So, um, <laughs> so you got to have people you you like, and you know, even there's little spats here and there. There's enough respect that it's like, hey, sorry, we just got heated for mm-hmm. a second. We mm-hmm. we move on. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, yeah. Wait, I don't. There was something I was going to say about actors that. Um, oh, confidence. I think that's another thing I really look for um, with actors. And I run into that. I see that more in Reno than in L.A. All Most actors I've, I've known or met are, are typically pretty pretty insecure behind the scenes. I think it's just part of kind of putting your, yourself out there. But I think mm-hmm. it's really important. And I think that's just human nature a little bit. Um, so I think even if you have some of those doubts, I think it's really important to just kind of really build your confidence up before going into that audition room and trust your choices that you're going to make. You know, trust your your background and your experience and your choices as as an actor and own them. Because if you, the casting director, the director, they'll feel it. If you're doubting it, they're going to start doubting it. Um, so whether the choice was right or wrong, if you go in there and you you own that, I think that that really goes a long ways to you know people and the director and the casting director being like, okay, I'm the audience. I can you know I can feel that. Yeah, it's it's definitely a tough position because I think about it's almost like i've heard stories of actors even that are established and been working for like decades that let's say after you say cut and you like walk up to give a note even though they've been in the industry for 20 years the director walking up to them they still get the anxiety of like did i do it right what did i get what did i mess up and like there's all that fear even after all the experience so when, when i imagine let's say like you kind of mentioned um Desert Shadows, this is the real deal here. Mm-hmm. Like, I need you to show up to play. This is the professional real set. And then that could kind of build up. I'm like, oh, this is real. Mm-hmm. I've never done a real thing before. Yeah. <laughs> like, am I yeah. making the right dis- choices? And, like, that is, that is a tough right, thing right. to overcome. But it, that, I guess that is what separates the people that you want to have on set versus... Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't envy them. I mean, I have a, so much respect for actors because you are putting yourself out there. You're walking in these rooms and you are so vulnerable, you know, in that casting room and on set and in the final product. I mean, you are you're trusting the director, mm-hmm. you're trusting your castmates, you're trusting the, the writing, you're going to do the best you can. But at the end of the day, you have a lot of things out of your control, too. But you're also in a position where, like, especially casting, God, I always think about this because it's like you walk into that room to be judged. That mm-hmm. is the room of judgment. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot easier on our end to be like... And, God, I mean, you don't even want to know the things that get talked about in there because it's like, oh, is she too short? Is he too handsome? Is, you know, they don't seem like a couple or, 
oh, we need diversity for that role. You're great, but we need diversity, you know, things like that, mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, the producer's niece, you know, needs a role and she's not as good as you, but she's going to get this over you because you didn't blow us away enough. There's so many considerations that are against you that, um, so huge, huge respect and admiration for actors to, mm -hmm. um, to grind and to put themselves through that when there's so much competition um, for that. And then at the end of the day, just being like, okay, it's in your hands to like, mm -hmm. you tell me if I'm doing good enough or not yeah it is yeah. tough it is tough but we were lucky we had an awesome cast i um you know desert shadow desert shadows has been a big undertaking and it was an insanely ambitious project and i and i bit off a lot with it knowingly um but i really bit off a lot with it but um i couldn't be happier mm -hmm. with the with the cast that we we did get i mean mitch Pileggi, he He's had a ton, he's so experienced and has done so many roles, um, but I haven't seen one from him when he has so much dialogue that this one has. Mm. I mean, he's got full like three minute like monologues in this one, as we know, mm -hmm. like first scene we filmed is like a five minute monologue um, where he's walking all around and moving, but it's, um, he just nailed it. So I think fans of him are gonna be really excited. And then, you know, Bill Farmer's great. He's hilarious, it's a totally different role for mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. um, Richard Leacock just has this presence and charisma that makes him likable. Aaron Foster, we haven't talked about Aaron, so Aaron's a freaking, everybody's a badass in this one. Oh, yes, Aaron yes. lost like, Aaron's not a big guy to begin with. He's a skinny guy to begin with, and he lost like 50 pounds for the role. I mean, mm -hmm. you'll, there's a scene in there where he, um, plays... he doesn't have much clo many clothes on it. I mean, it's full rib cage. It's, he, and he, yeah, he, he plays the drug addict, the drug mm -hmm. addict brother, and he yeah. just embodied him, and so, God, I can't, be more thankful for what he sacrificed to to play that that role yeah because i think about i don't want to like give anything away of course but like being that he did lose so much weight for the role and we're shooting march in reno nevada mm -hmm. a lot of exteriors in the desert and stuff yep. and like that's chilly cool. it's chilly yeah. out there yeah so it the is. stuff that these actors had to go through sometimes was you know like you kind of said like it's uh you you've got to respect the uh, the craft of, of showing up and doing your thing regardless of the uh, of the environment you're yep. showing up in. It's yep. it's commendable for sure. Yep, absolutely. And then uh, you know Andy and Emily, the the two the two stars, the two main main characters, they were awesome. Kept a really positive vibe. Super talented, and mm -hmm. they knew the script better than me. I know there was a there was a moment we were like. I don't know, Emily was almost done because she was three of the four weeks and Andy was all four weeks and we were in like week three. Mm -hmm. We were just laughing about how they always, I mean, Andy didn't look at a script once the entire month, mm -hmm. once. Mm -hmm. And so they, and they both really had it down. So I was like, so if I name a scene, any scene we've shot or haven't shot yet, you could do it just like right now. We're just eating lunch. They're like, yeah. So I gave them like a four minute scene and I was like, go. And they did it like I followed along in the script. I'm like, holy crap, I wrote these words and like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's insane. Because that was one of the things that I always keep in mind too because I was uh, per, per indie st status, I was wearing multiple hats as well. Yes. Being, uh, primarily, I saw myself as the assistant director managing the schedule, mm -hmm. but I was also keeping in the back of my mind because we didn't have a dedicated script supervisor mm -hmm. that I would always kind of... I don't, I don't remember if I took notes... I don't feel like I took notes. Maybe I did. I had notes from you. Okay. I did have notes from you. So I was able to sneak notes in there somehow. Yes. But regardless, <laughs> I do always keep in mind that directors, I never want to assume, or actually I assume the other way. Like, if they are the writer, mm -hmm. 
There's a lot of time usually between the writing because they go. There's a whole process between the writing and now we're on set. It's like by the time from the time you wrote that to now, you don't you don't really look at it as often as like no. or as recently as we've looked at it yeah. as the actors and the script mm -hmm. supervisor. We're like, that's my job on the day is going through it, making sure I know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And you, as a director, you kind of show up. You're like, well, I've been planning this for a long time. I know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're like, actually, it says this here. And like, wait a second. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who wrote totally. that? That was a joke, too. Because like, I have the worst memory. Like, if I don't write it down, like, I, mm -hmm. I need Eddie's in my life because, yeah. like, I won't remember. I need Eddie's and I need uh, Emily's and Andy's because yeah, it's yeah. like, I think even Mitch and Richard were both at certain points. They're like, oh, sorry. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm not, they'd like forget one line out of like four pages and, and like, sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm like, are you kidding me? You just went three minutes straight. Like, you're good. Yeah, <laughs> you're yeah. good. You're like, Thank you. But like, you you're nailing it. You like, didn't catch it at all. Yeah. 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 But yeah. Okay. Fun project. Anything else you want to talk about with with Desert Shadows? I mean, you and I worked really, really closely, closely on that. You, um, really, you, Miles, and me, not including actors, um, were definitely the heaviest time involvement in the yeah. Project. And that's and that's that's Kelly typical because you know director and the Miles was uh, the DP and then AD. Mm -hmm. Like yeah, we were the the. The team leaders making mm -hmm. sure everything was going smooth and getting the stuff done, but um, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think about what others might find interesting about the process or the project, yeah. but uh, I want to know all the dirt behind the scenes because as a director, like you're so busy with other things, so much shit happens behind your back. That I was, I was, <laughs> I was thinking. It was. I was thinking more on the positive side, but uh, <laughs> shit can be positive too. I mean, like dirt. Yeah. positive. Dirt. I don't read the gossip. <laughs> uh, no, um, I think about, and I don't know how you made this decision, but like the fact that we were shooting twenty three days on this thing, mm -hmm. I think twenty three days was the goal. For some reason, my mind thinks we shot twenty two because we were able to. Like, I don't know, or it was the other way around. Did the, yeah. I feel like, like regardless. Yeah. I felt like that was a good amount of time for what we were tackling because mm -hmm. there's been so many projects in LA that I've been a part of this. That's the longest project that I've AD'd or even oh, like really? been a part of since, since then. Like, Oh, you've done a number of features now too. Haven't yeah, you? How, I, many, how I, many features have you AD'd now? I AD'd? No, yeah. I'm primarily script supervisor. Okay. How many features have you script supervised? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe like seven or something. Yeah. But, uh, that's surprising to me that that's the, the longest. Yeah, like the 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 first one that I was a part of was a 15-dayer. And then since then, it's like, I think I, there was one last year that I did that was 18 days. So like three six-day weeks. Um, mm -hmm. But like this, coming out of COVID, there was one that I jumped on that was a 10-day feature. <sighs> 10-hour day. 10 day feature Damn. and uh i'm like how 
So what's the so what's the difference in the shooting timeline then? I mean, obviously, you know, ours had a lot of practical effects. It had a lot of yeah. it had a lot of locations. It broke it broke That's... every rule that in my one semester of film school that it <laughs> did do that they said don't do. They're like, I remember my screenwriting professor. He said, um, you know, like keep in if you're writing for yourself, keep in mind budget. So don't have like an actor walking through the rain up to a scene you just added. You know, hundred thousand dollars to that shot. Yeah, There's like you, six raining scenes, yeah, yeah. you know, and so like I, I purposely like broke every rule almost as like a screw you, I can do this. Yeah, yeah, just, um, to, just to do it. But then coverage too, I'd imagine maybe like the number of shots you get. But I'd be curious, like in your in your mind, what what allowed that to be possible? I with think the I think it is the location thing primarily where it is like this 10 day one that I was on. It was horror mm -hmm. and they did have practical effects mm -hmm. and a lot of their budget went to the practicals so they had like a you know same the same as what you had like they have the dedicated special effects people on set prepping all the stuff that's mm -hmm. ready to go and a lot of time goes to shooting those specific moments of like you know like the werewolf transformation scene where you've got like mm -hmm. the cool practical ear growing and like all that kind of stuff <laughs> and uh, and, uh um and that's where a lot of, that's where their priority goes. But mm -hmm. besides that, all the character stuff is like throw up three cameras. We because we did that a few times on yours too, where it's mm -hmm. like okay, we have extra cameras, mm -hmm. put them up. We'll shoot. We'll shoot yep. extra angles. And I've noticed sometimes it saves time, sometimes it doesn't. It's kind of like a weird thing. But like for me as a script supervisor, what? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. All right. There you hate was, it or you like it. I'm super, I want to talk more about the single camera, dual camera thing because I think that's really interesting. But finish your... Let's say for this yourself. one, being that it wasn't the highest budget because mm -hmm. they're rushing in 10 days, um, <laughs> they had their video village but was only transmitting two of the three cameras to me. So then I'm like, what's this third camera doing? <laughs> I can't watch it. And then, like, it, we're moving so fast, I can't I like... remember that with you from set. You don't like when you don't know something that's going on. I try to, like, sneak things around you on set. And, like, you're the kind of guy, and I'm probably the same way, but, like, you like to know where all the pieces are. You like to know what's happening and everything. That's... So I try to, like, sneak in my be like, don't worry about it. It's, <laughs> it's fine. You're like, no, I got... I'm like, no, no, I got to know what's going no, on. It's just a couple extra shots. Don't, don't worry about it. I just got another scene. It's like, no, no, nope. Gotta factor that into the schedule. Yeah. Um, but for instance, there was like a fight scene that we we're shooting. Had not been choreographed because in, in indie world you don't normally have time before you shoot a thing to, like you don't have pre-production days set to like just block out a fight scene. Right. You don't so, get block choreography days. You don't get rehearsal days. You don't get. So ideally, and you know, for safety, you have your stunt coordinator there, and then you block out X amount of time to run through it yeah and <laughs> they were doing it all wrong and i'm just you know watching it i'm like all right cool three cameras are going up at some point i don't know where they're going <laughs> and then i ended up working for them so we shoot it we shoot it i don't know what we got because it's so much is happening but we got to move on because it's again 10 hour days 10 days it was only 10 hours. Those are half days. We call those half days in the industry. <laughs> no. Um, but I remember coming back, and I, I did a, a couple days on another feature that they were doing, and the director came up to me and was like, he's like, by the way, like you did great as a script supervisor. However, during that fight scene that we shot, 
we missed an angle and like that was kind of your job to make sure that we picked that up and i'm like i'm like uh so i tried to explain in a nice way of like yeah. well actually if you recall we only had two monitors whatever whatever my excuse was i'm like yeah. I, you know and you understand me worked quickly whatever yeah. he didn't really have he wasn't really having it but i'm like really yeah. you're gonna you're gonna give me yeah, a hard time over yeah but um <laughs> So that was that was that experience, but I think the difference is we were in like this one. I think it was like just the hotel we were shooting in, or like a casino restaurant with like a second floor, mm-hmm. and you just have different rooms for different scenes, and you ride it for that location. So yeah. instead of moving across town or yeah. driving out into the desert for a few hours one day, mm-hmm. you're just like, all right, this room, this room, this room, this room. Mm-hmm. Ideally, you're not moving from downstairs to upstairs a lot because that's mm-hmm. where the time kind of comes in because yeah. we don't have enough equipment to just like light ahead of time you have to like break down light break down light right yeah um but that i think that was the primary thing and and then the i don't know what the other thing would be but um yeah. they they weren't uh too worried about all the stuff that we were kind of worried about with it being good you know as long as as long as their special effects are good like they were happy but and i don't quite know how we did it yeah and to each their own on the priorities right i think you always have to you try to make everything as good as possible but you kind of have to know your your priority order Mm -hmm. is like and so when you do have to pick those battles you know what what wins for me acting acting and story always win for me which is funny because I'm a cinematographer by by more experience as a cinematographer so it's funny but um as a movie fan, it's just like, that's where you're going to live and die is, is on the acting. Mm-hmm. But can we talk about the single camera, dual camera thing? Because okay, I think sure. that's Whoa. actually, I think that's interesting for, and I don't know um, what your audience is typically on these, if they're, how geeky they are or not. No, on the I, tech uh, side, but, um, but the single camera, dual camera thing is interesting to me because. Well, let's explain I, just in case. Sure. Yeah. What, yeah. What, what, so like when you shoot a scene, um, there's some TV shows and films will shoot with just one camera and then others um, uh, and then they just do the scene over and over and over again to get all the angles that they, they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lord help the script supervisor who makes sure continuity is the same each mm-hmm. time between right. all of them. <laughs> right. um, and then sometimes you do multiple camera um, where you have anywhere from two to ten cameras going on a, on a scene to get all these different angles so that when you get the performance you like you've got it. Um, for the most part, plus maybe like some inserts and things like that. Um, that's common in long dialogue scenes. Mm-hmm. It's common in fight scenes, especially. You'll have you know dual camera operators. Um, I'm going, but there's a lot of considerations with that because as soon as you add other cameras, um, there's a lot less um, you can see. So when you're lighting a scene, everywhere that's not on camera, mm-hmm. usually there's a light or a stand or a person, you know, right off camera. Now all of a sudden, if you add a second camera, that's you know. 45 more degrees of space that you can't see now or you can't put uh, that you can see now in frame that um, you can't put your gear in yeah. you can't light from there so it makes lighting a lot um, trickier but also from like a directing standpoint um, performance wise it gets harder because you're trying to watch all these things mm-hmm. um, at once instead of just focusing on okay this is so and so's um performance i'm watching them i'm making sure they're hitting all the beats i need them to to hit during the scene in desert shadows what made 
it extra complicated because we did a lot of single camera and then certain scenes we would pull out a second camera for and I think once we pulled out a third. Um, but we, it was really important to me because on a feature I had DP'd before and then I actually ended up filling in as director to kind of um, finish the film off. Um, it drove me crazy that it was a lot of long dialogue scenes but it was characters would come into a location, they would sit and then they would talk. Mm -hmm. And they would go into a location, sit, and they would talk. And it made the dialogue scenes boring. You know, because like when we, I mean, right now we're sitting for three hours talking, not moving. But like when I typically have a conversation, like mm -hmm. if I'm in my kitchen, mm -hmm. I'll get up and I'll go to the sink and I'll kind of talk from the sink. You know, I'll go and I'll start taking the trash. I'll, you know, go and pet the dog for a second. All while I'm having these conversations, there's movement. And I think in film that makes it a lot more interesting. So my kind of first, one of my developments as a director or something I, I wanted to improve development on was my blocking, um, which makes the scenes way more complicated to shoot, but I think it makes it a lot more interesting when the characters are moving more, more naturally. Mm -hmm. um, and you see it on bigger budget films all the time, but it's learning how to move the camera within those setups. Um, and it makes it really hard to get like our master shots when it's like, well, we have this master shot, but it's gonna be so wide because they're moving over all these these things, but that's still really important to establish the scene and establish mm -hmm. the continuity of it. So instead of like, if two characters are just sitting in two chairs, your coverage is your wide two shots, over the shoulder, over the shoulder. Maybe you get one closer or whatever, but your coverage is really simple. As soon as somebody's walking from the wall to the floor to the couch, you now have like, you have to do that same thing in each of those spots they they move into unless mm -hmm. you're getting creative with like it's uh you know staying on the same shot or something like that yeah so it makes it infinitely more more complicated but can also make the product way better so that was something for desert shadows i consciously really wanted to do that made shooting i think take way longer but i think will pay off in the in the final product and some mm -hmm. of those longer not a ton of long dialogue scenes there's like four or five that i think that really helps them a lot yeah Yes to all of that. <laughs> so anyway, random thought that I wanted to get off my chest. All right. So, yeah, my, my thought on that, as far as the blocking stuff, like I know I was experimenting with that again on the latest short that I just directed that's not out yet, um, where it was it's a two-person, it's basically a two-person short film, and I was like, all right, sweet, there's two people in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And me and the DP are talking about, like, how do we make this look interesting? What, what can we do? All right, how do we make the blocking creative so at least there's, like, different looks in mm -hmm. here we can do? It's like, all right, sweet. She's going to do this. She's going to – they're going to cross each other, and mm -hmm. we'll have to figure out the camera moves on that. And yeah. at least at least you're getting different looks. It's like, all right, the character's on this side now, whereas before I was the other character, and then she's checking up at the cupboard. We can shoot that angle, and yeah. – Whatever. So at least there's movement in the frame. And gives them something to do. Gives right? them something, gives the something to do. I think that's important too. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Versus uh, just the standard talking. The two minutes of cut yep. back and forth, reverse, reverse shot, and that's boring for them to act. It's boring for us to watch. It's yeah. And there are moments where that is the correct answer, mm -hmm. um, but I feel like it's definitely a pick your pick your moments to just sit in there with those people if that's if that's what you're trying to go for um but also i think about indie world for sure where you don't single cam versus multi-cam where i always hear from 
like G and E teams on we don't have enough lights to light for that is always mm-hmm. is always the answer. Yeah. When a director's like, All right, can we do it's like we yeah. don't have lights for that. Yeah. Or I'm always my my line, I, I, I work with an, an awesome director. She's um super ambitious too, but she likes like three hundred and sixty degree shots and Ooh. all these crazy angles and I'm always like, Okay, awesome, cool. Where the hell do I put my lights? I'm looking around. Okay, where do my lights go? That's always I, my I can question. Think of a, I can think of a specific shot you might be referencing. Yes, that, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, so I think it usually comes down to yeah, what what is the what is your team capable of doing? How much time do you have? Mm-hmm. And uh, I try to work within those limitations, but I know a lot of people try to push the yeah. the boundaries of about. Yeah, I don't know. But I, I kind of like to lean toward the single cam. It's probably just because that's what I've kind of just done. Yeah. But I do like, like you said, like being able to focus on one frame, mm-hmm. watching that one performance. Because I do feel like jumping back bo- between two different actors and like, all right. And mm-hmm. then you want, you kind of get stuck on one person. You don't even know what the other person did. And you're like, all yeah. right, let's move on. And they're like, well... Yeah, I don't. I don't like, know. did you not notice me? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I did not say anything yeah. that you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But I don't know if if that answers your your thought on single versus double. But yeah. I, I I like the idea of going single and then picking those like can you like you kind of said dramatic maybe dramatic moments where you want the extra coverage mm-hmm. of I don't know I feel like. Sometimes I don't mind what I'll do sometimes, and I know you you hate this because you like to know what each camera's doing, but sometimes, I, I actually remember a specific interaction with us on this thing, but I like it anyways. Um, something I like to do sometimes is have an extra camera that's just grabbing extra stuff. So I have my list, I have my, I know exactly what I, I want list, and then I have a camera getting cool, creative, extra angles that are bonus in the edit if we get ourselves into a a tight corner and I may or may not use it, but it's like my, it's yeah. my, it's my safety net. His job is to shoot her. If it lights in a shot, he frames it out. Nothing moves because of him. He shoots around the other camera, sure. he shoots around this, but it gives all these books. Yeah, I, I do recall that for sure. <laughs> and I've seen that plenty of times and I always am over there like, kind of like just afraid in the yeah, corner. I, like, well, with it. I think we did it twice. <laughs> Maybe only once, it's but, just yeah. my, my continuity brain is like, all right, yeah. sweet. But did the DP sign off on this? Is the, yeah. like, I don't even know. It also comes from my, like, you know, I have this corporate commercial and like heavy documentary background. That um, makes sense. A lot of documentary is um, like, and like me as an editor, um, I think that comes from like working in that world a lot where I'm like, give me extra stuff. I don't care if I have to comb through it in the edit. Like, give me extra stuff to play mm-hmm. with yeah that does feel very dark yeah, <sighs> <laughs> yeah. see i can still feel yeah that, like. no for sure because i i i i try to think about the dp that i bring on i'm like i really trust your vision yeah i really trust the angles that we're choosing and i trust your decisions and i want you to okay this extra shot <laughs> Like I don't, I don't like the rushing thing. Ideally, yeah. ideally, we put ourselves in positions where you're not rushing, mm-hmm. and you can actually look at frames and give thumbs up to stuff, and yeah. and that's kind of I think the the world we all want to live in. But um, yeah, sometimes you just yeah, 
need an extra shot that you can just color correct or like I don't know yeah how much finesse it takes to yeah. to make those work in the in the feature world but. no I mean as long as you're shooting on the same on same or similar camera and you know you're still playing within the rules it's not like handheld when every other shot in the film is mm-hmm. tripod or dolly or whatever yeah everything else is on sticks and this one's like yeah shoulder rigged like, around we cut to the BTS cam <laughs> like <laughs> yeah yeah okay all right. Um, I did want to talk about because I have nothing else on Desert Shadows. Yeah, coming soon ish. Coming soon ish. Um, yeah, hope hopefully soon. I think um, one. I guess one last kind of final thought on Desert Shadows, other than like know that nobody's more eager to get this out than me, and it'll be worth the wait. Um, what the release is going to look like, I'm not sure. With COVID and everything, you know, we were going to do a big festival run first. Mm-hmm. Um, just as a great calling card for everybody. It's not really necessary in horror distribution. It was more of more selfish than anything, honestly, just yeah. to kind of get some good accolades and stuff for it. But um, with COVID landscape and festivals going um, virtual, most likely the release itself will get much more accelerated and we'll see it on, on streaming and venues like that much sooner mm-hmm. than, we, than we would have, um, depending on what happens. But that's kind of my assumption, I think, once we move into distribution mm-hmm. here pretty, pretty soon. Cool. So I guess before we move on from that, <laughs> where where can people uh, go to stay in the loop on updates? How how? Yeah. Um, so you can go to we have a Facebook page and an Instagram page, and mm-hmm. both those are going to be your best bets to follow. Um, we kind of started to do a marketing push earlier in the year when we thought the film was going to be done sooner than it was. Um, we've gone a little quiet here just as we kind of get a really clear mm-hmm. timeline. Um, but once once we are ready, um, it'll ramp up and you're going to see a fun a ton behind the scenes pictures and production stills and um, you know just just fun things like that, new posters, so and trailers, could... and all that stuff. But Facebook and Instagram, Desert Shadows, okay. um, is the best place for all that in it. When it comes, it will come. So it seems quiet and dead there right now, but um, oh, yeah, for sure. there's a lot of content coming. I, I just don't want to no, no, for sure, be vulgar, but blow our load too, too early. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Because, I mean, I've, I've done, I mean, it's the same thing. Like, I went, like, radio silent on all of my movies, socials, mm-hmm. after, like, it was like, all right, sweet, we're in post now. Yep. Radio silence mm-hmm. until basically, like, all right, we got a date locked for distribution release. Now we're going to ramp up PR. Yep. Now that we know what's going on. But until then, you're kind of just, like, it, wasting. It's wasted momentum. It's wasted yeah. momentum, if not. I know that's hard for people to understand that there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes when it's quiet, but mm-hmm. just kind of the film world a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah, so let's move into uh, some accolades. Sure. And if you're lo- if you're watching the video, <laughs> back in the background, there's a couple little shiny statues there. Um, I don't know how to describe it. It's like an angel woman holding a globe of some kind. It's not a golden globe. Well, we lost our blue lights. I told you they'd last oh, the whole time, and they yeah, did. You lied. lied. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> Anyways, it's also the trophy. Continuity. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's some Emmys back there. So congrats on having Thank that. Thank you. Thank you. On your resume. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, question for me, selfishly, how do I win an Emmy? <laughs> <laughs> well, kid, <laughs> hard work. <laughs> hard work, right, right project. Um, you know, right, Emmys, so. Emmys are for TV, so it's got to be something that's actually aired on, on television. So I was really fortunate to have um, some really cool projects come across my plate. Um, a gentleman I work with a ton in my, 
my corporate work is uh, Al Polito and mm -hmm. Three Sticks Productions. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have this great contract with the state where we produce documentaries for uh, based on opioid addiction. Mm -hmm. And um, so they, it's a big epidemic in, um, in, the Nevada, in, in the state of Nevada. Kind of the U.S. in general. The U.S. in general, yeah. Um, but a lot, of fo a lot of focus here on the, the state. Yeah. Our, our previous governor, Sandoval, it was really important to him. So he kind of kick-started this whole thing. And they've been really successful. So they came to us with wanting some content. And we do so much corporate work, but they wanted some documentary content, which were like awesome, cool. That's a really fun sandbox to, to play in. And um, there's just so many stories to be told told within that within that world mm -hmm. it gave us it gave us a lot to play with um, dramatically um, in a world um, you know the Emmys um, other than primetime Emmys um, it's a lot of like news based and journalist based so we got to kind of stand out a little bit where we could take a cinematic approach from our experience on the narrative side of things and put it into the documentary world with a lot more kind of like drama and emotion and feeling compared to the more journalistic stuff mm -hmm. that we are in competition with yeah and uh so i think that really that really so helped. so what what are the what are the emmys for sure so the first one uh the documentary itself won. it was for a film called prescription for hope and this was what year this was I think this is 2018 yeah 2018 probably yeah um first one was from two years ago and uh, yeah, it was called Prescription for Hope, and it followed um, three stories of people in varying la varying layers of addiction slash slash recovery. So one guy was mm. like a BMX rider that that fell into pills. Um, another story followed, um, you know, a daughter of a, a local sheriff, you know, that fell into it. Um, you know, kind of kind of stories stories mm -hmm. like that, um, really kind of human based. So the the documentary itself won for that. Um, and we got to go down to, to Vegas for the big award show mm -hmm. and everything. And mm -hmm. that was, uh, we weren't expecting to win. So it was really, it was a fun night. Yeah. How a, does, how, how well, yeah, I want to hear about that experience because there, there's two experiences there. There's one making the thing mm -hmm. and then there's two, the award ceremony. I don't know. I was. Kind of, yeah, I, I want, you know, it's weird. I'm not a huge awards guy. I'm really, I'm really not. I mean, it's cool. It's a good little feather. Yeah, in your hat, but you, I don't like you've got it. You've got I don't it. like attention. Like I like do like even this is weird for me. But yeah. I like doing. I like doing the work. Um, I just, I, I really enjoy the the process of it all. Well, I mean, um, you just, so you being just, on stage for me is mm -hmm. tough. Go ahead. I was gonna say you just said that you wanted to run Desert Shadows through the through the film festival for accolades. So. Fair. Well, a, well <laughs> accolades, but that's for, that's for a career perspective. So when I say accolades, that's because if, like, I have a film... It's not for the spotlight. ...as a director, it's not for the spotlight. It's so that you get noticed so that you can get hired for another film so that when I'm pushing myself as director for something, I can say, well, I did this film. It won all these for festivals. Sure, for so sure, So it's more for that than, yeah, like, I'm just, the, I'm just teasing. I'm just that. teasing. No, I'm you, very it, sensitive about it. Because you want to walk up at each festival and give <laughs> yeah. your speech because you yeah. like giving speeches and stuff. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, so. But that was the, yeah, so that was the, the first one. And then the second one was for a documentary called Chronic Pain. And that one I actually won for the cinematography on. So we got nominated for four different categories. Hmm. Um, when we submitted before, we didn't realize there were all these extra categories we could submit to. Mm -hmm. So when we went again, we're like, oh, cool, we can submit for cinematography, for editing, for all these things. So the film itself didn't win the second time. Gotcha. But, um but I got one for cinematography, nice. which was very cool. Which was very cool. Yeah. So those are they're fun.
Okay. They're cool. The Emmys are kind of cool. I'm like I said, I'm not a big order, but the Emmys are kind of cool. Yeah. They're no, actually, they're, they're, they are they're very actually cool. shiny. <laughs> okay. So, how involved are you in the process of in these particular projects? Mm -hmm. In terms of like finding the finding the stories, or like how does that work? With uh... not really on those ones too much. So Al really kind of like spearheads, and then we'll bring in a little bit of creative help. Mm -hmm. um, so he's really kind of him, and then the state will then sometimes propose some people as well, and then it's normal networking. It's like who knows who. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a lot of it's through our connections, and then we choose the story. So, you know, Al will we'll have discussions about it, um, but it's really his choice at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. You know, he directed the project, so it's really his choice at the end of the day. So I'll add my my opinion and suggestion on what I would think would work well for the story, but it's really him. Um, I focus more on the um, the visual of it and in those, and given the story that's being told, how can we enhance that from a visual perspective? Yeah, visual, to, make the edit, and like to that give it kind of to stuff. give it more to give it more impact. Mm. Very cool. Yeah. All right. So. I did. I did want to ask as well, since we are on that topic of the content involved in those yeah. from the beginning, because you were we were talking off camera a little bit about them, and I was kind of curious about the opioid epidemic. Yeah. And uh, it sounds like you've had the chance to to kind of work on many. I've, of that kind of I've been fortunate to and this was something my my high school teacher um, video teacher Brian Reedy um, always really pushed um, making sure you do projects that make a difference in things that maybe are issues or people are struggling with so when I was in high school we did a lot of projects based off um, driver awareness mm -hmm. and we did projects based off uh, meth addiction because that's what was really big in in the town at the time um, so it, it's always been something that I've, and I've done a number of PSAs and other projects over the, over the years. Um, but it's always been something that's been important to me because I, you know, I, I've known a lot of people that have struggled with it and it's something that in this industry, a lot of people struggle with, mm. um, too. And it's, um, it destroys lives. You're talking about the opioids? I'm just talking drugs in general. Okay. Drugs, dr drugs in general, opioids are something that I wasn't very familiar with mm -hmm. um, until I got into these projects. And I've learned so much about it, and it's been fascinating. And I am really glad to be able to tell the story. And hopefully, you know, it's the whole thing, like, it's an overused line, but if the documentaries can help one mm -hmm. person, they're worth it. Mm -hmm. um, because it, it's it's horrible. So the, the thing with opioids that happens, and what's scary about them is it's totally unassuming. So opioids is, is pills for, for people that mm -hmm. don't know, prescription pills. And what happens is somebody will be in pain, whether it's an ex-athlete or somebody's lifted a package wrong or just, just has back pain. They'll be in pain and a doctor will prescribe them uh, prescription pills um, to deal with that pain. And they won't get any kind of education on what those pills mean. And what those pills mean um, is that they're highly addictive and you can get relying on them. Um, and, and that's not good because some people have really addictive personalities. Some people mm -hmm. don't realize that it's becoming an addiction when it's, when it's happening. And it's not that the pills are bad. The pills aren't bad. They, they help people in a lot of ways. You just have to know what you're getting into when, mm -hmm. you, when you take them and have an exit strategy for them. Um, you know, cause there's a lot of pain that can't be dealt with 
without them, we're looking into ulterior methods. Is this something that I could manage this pain in a different way that wouldn't be the extreme nature of, of pills? But what happens is you get addicted to the pills. Mm -hmm. You start stealing the pills from, from family members, from the house, from, from people like that. And eventually the pills either get too expensive or too hard to, to get. And so then people turn to heroin because it's the same kind of feeling, the same kind of high. Mm. And then once you turn to heroin, what happens is not only is it um, a bit of a nastier drug, but there's um, a quality control issue with it too, is that it'll get laced with other stuff mm -hmm. unknowingly. Um, you can get um, just the way you're taking it can get a lot dirtier, um, which can lead to different mm -hmm. um, major different issues. Um, doses might be stronger than you realize. It's not controlled anymore. With a pill, you know how much you're taking. It's it's safe. It's gone through. The, it's gone through the FDA. It's controlled from that standpoint. It's up to you if you're taking too much or not, and your doctor. Um, once you get into heroin, all bets are off. Mm -hmm. All bets are off. And so it's scary. And really good people, and really good people's families have been destroyed by by this drug. Um, and it's heart wrenching. Um, we do these two, three hour long interviews. Um, with families who have lost family members or who have gotten them back, you know, from recovery. And so it's, um, you know, it's painful to watch to and listen, but it's definitely like a privilege to be able to tell mm -hmm. their story. And like I said, if we can make a, make an impact with it, um, yeah, it's, it's huge. Yeah. Cause yeah. like, like you're kind of saying there is it's not just one person, like if you impact one person, it kind of grows out from that one person mm -hmm. to it's their family it's their it does. children it's like all that mm -hmm. uh, the documentary we're doing next i think i'm allowed to talk about it but it's um it's on recovery mm -hmm. and so it's people that that have gotten better and so many of these recovered addicts that we've talked to they're incredibly positive people and they're very grateful people um, because they were on the brink of death their lives were done mm -hmm. and so they they hit their rock bottom you know they they had that they know what it feels like and now they just want to give back. So they're very selfless people um, that just genuinely have kind of dealt with their demons and they want to find other people that are in that and they want to try to pull them out too. So they're really interesting people too and just really good-hearted, like selfless, yeah, that's selfless nice. people. So it's cool. That sounds nice. Yeah, it's cool work to do. It's nice to do work that makes an impact. I mean, mm -hmm. work for entertainment is great and there's a lot of fun with that, but it's, um, it's really cool to do work that mm -hmm. makes an impact. Um, so too. I guess if uh, I don't know, not what is the uh, on the ones that you were talking about that you that you or the, from your experience thus far, I guess if we can mention it here too, like what is is there like a common thread on steps to take to get out of like get out of that addiction or is sure. there yeah the the most important thing is being honest about it the very first step um is accepting that you have a problem um mm -hmm. because so many people go into it and they're like oh no, no no it's the whole i can stop anytime i i want thing and because a lot of this is it's housewives it's kids it's mm. it's people you wouldn't expect to be having issues it's your it's your buddy that's cringing all the time and you don't know why um, and you just popping pills to maybe maybe deal with it. Um, so the, the first thing is not being embarrassed to speak up and ask for help. There's so many resources there from, from the state um, and just from other people that you don't need to be embarrassed to be like, mm -hmm. you know what, I have a problem and I need help. And um, it's really sad to think about, but we've, we've interviewed a lot of parents who've lost their kids over it. 
And you always think like growing up, it's like, oh, I broke that thing. I don't want to tell mom that I broke it. Yeah, I'm going to get in trouble. Mm. So it kind of goes to that where it's like, I'm doing this bad thing. I'm, I, I'm, I'm taking these drugs or I'm, I'm, I've got this addiction. I don't want to tell my parents or my family or my wife or my whoever because it means I'm in trouble. It's admitting I you don't want to disappoint, right? Exactly. Yeah, you don't want to disappoint people. And that's just human nature. But um, we've interviewed these parents who have lost their kids to, um, to these addictions. And a lot of times they didn't know, you know, and they mm-hmm. just, it's, it's heartbreaking because they're like, I wish my kid just told me they needed help. I wish I knew because I could have done something. And they didn't, and it ended yeah. in the worst way imaginable. So, um, yeah, if somebody is struggling with it, is don't, um, don't struggle in silence. You know, mm-hmm. there are resources, there are programs, but honestly, it's your family more than anybody mm-hmm. that, like, can get you there. Whew. So there's our heavy, heavy <laughs> moment. <laughs> Whoa! But yeah, no, that's great to, uh, yeah, to get those stories out and use yep. the use the skill set you have to mm-hmm. shine a light on that kind of stuff. That's yeah, yeah sounds very important. Where can uh, if I did want to watch these? Are these did, sure? Did they're they... online. Um, well, they aired across the state because it was yeah. with a partnership with the state, and so it, they like got. Um, blocking airtime on like all the stations across northern Nevada. So it, it aired publicly everywhere. Yeah. Um, but they are available online. If you just search Prescription for Hope mm. or Chronic Pain, um, they'll come up. I think PBS has a link to Prescription for Hope and um, Chronic Pain's up somewhere. Okay. But yeah, just a quick gotcha. Google search and you'll, you'll find it there public. Yeah, because I know like... And then, yeah, our next one we're doing, well, we've done it. Um, it didn't air this year. Um, so we'll have to skip the Emmys this year mm. and then next year, get back in it. But, um, we have one on, um, this one was really, really heavy is on, uh, like prenatal abuse. And so it's parents, mothers mm. that were addicted to opioids while they were pregnant. And so their kids come out addicted to the drug. Yeah. And so these, um, these kids are in the NICU and they're literally going through withdrawal. And it's like the most shrill screams, like words can't even describe. Like, and it's not like a baby screaming. It is like it's a baby going through withdrawal. It's in, insanely dark. Um, so that was our most recent one. And then, like I said before, the next one is recovery. So we have a couple yeah. more coming, coming too. That is, uh, very heavy stuff. Very heavy stuff. Whoa. Very heavy stuff. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we'll also stay in loop on that. That sounds yep. um, like, like you were kind of yeah very important stories getting out there yeah. um bad segue but uh <laughs> we're uh we're nearing the end of the the podcast here i did want to i think the word is remiss i would be remiss is that the word i don't know who i'm asking over there but um <laughs> if i didn't ask about uh the classic question of what's next the what's next so you've got you've got a feature on the verge of of being out in the world. Um, you've got this other uh, big dock in the in the pipeline mm-hmm. too. Um, yeah, what is uh, what, um, what is day to day? We continue to grow the business here. You know, I have four employees, and we've got um, you know uh, a studio space, and you know, gripping electric vans. Um, 
so continue, continuing to grow that business, you know, doing bigger and better projects always. Um, as far as the fun projects, unfortunately, I can't talk about them too much, but I do have some super cool things in, mm. the, in the works. I'm under NDA on them, but I've got, a, I've got a couple features that are in the works that might shoot this year from um, all DP, DP producer work on, on those ones. Okay. Um, but some very mm. interesting kind of high-end projects. And then I've got a couple TV shows I'm developing too, some that have kind of better mm. chances than than others but i can't really unfortunately sure. no no say much more because they're actually legitimate ones they're not just dumb like passion projects like i had an idea they actually have people like that want them and that want to pay for them and okay and cool, things like cool. that so hopefully hopefully 2021 will bring some very cool new new passion projects that's the uh, or not bad but new you know fun yeah creative, fun creative projects yeah, I, the, should, the I should say so yeah, we'll we'll see, but yeah, plenty to keep me busy in the in the meantime. We well, I guess I guess maybe I could reframe the question a little bit. Like, not I don't need to know specifically what the projects are, but what being that you've had, I feel like twenty twenty has been a big year for self reflection for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you had the opportunity for time to think. But <laughs> I'm not, but <laughs> but um, I don't. Yeah, as far as yeah, what you what. No, what I think you want in, to see happen in the next year? Well, or, I think or? one thing I, I, I would love to talk about, because I think it's something really cool that's happening here, mm. um, and I can't go into crazy details. You're saying uh, here in Reno. Here, sorry, here in Reno specifically, um, is to bring more film projects to, to northern Nevada. And um, we had a couple kind of Hallmark Lifetime movies come this year, yeah. and it kind of started the conversation up again, because people have wanted you know, more film work here for years. Um, but there's a really awesome group of people here now um, that are really passionate about bringing more film and TV mm. projects to the area. And that's all going through the Cordillera Film Festival, um, mm. which I'm fortunate to be on the board um, board of. And Emily Skyle is kind of its her passion baby project. But there's some really heavy hitters that have joined, um, joined the organization mm. now with uh, Peter Menzies Jr. Um, was a DP, um, did Tomb Raider movies, Die Hard 3, a um, whole bunch of um, awesome projects. Um, and we uh, just have some really cool people on the board um, that are doing a lot of work behind the scenes to hopefully make that more of a reality here. A little, a little years. traction, if you will. Yeah, um, to bring the resources here necessary mm -hmm. to, to do that. So I can't say too much on what specifically yeah. we're working on, but there's some really cool things in the work in affiliation with the festival. And then you're involved in that in some capacity, too, with... Uh... Yeah, I'm on the board for the, for right. the festival. right. And so I help where I can. I have a really busy schedule, so I get spread really thin between Classic my, 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 my movie projects <laughs> and my day-to-day -day just trying to run all this and yeah, yeah, yeah. projects and, and everything. But um, I, try to, I try to do as much as I can because I think what they're doing is, is really, really cool. So fingers crossed more, more comes out of that. But that's a pretty awesome festival, so I'm happy to, mm -hmm. happy to be a part of it. Very cool. All right. I don't know. I guess I think that's it. And yeah, that's good. All right. Well, good talking with you, Eddie. Thank yeah. you for, for having me on the, the podcast. Yeah, thanks for thanks for hosting at your at your studio no space. It's, it's looking nice. Thank you. And uh, yeah. All right. Uh, I guess lastly, we did mention where you can find Desert Shadows on socials: mm -hmm. Facebook, Instagram, Desert Shadows movie or i don't know desert shadows just search desert shadows desert shadows it. movie on instagram or facebook yeah, so i'm sure he'll be rolling out the the pr on that soon mm -hmm. 
Yep. And but as far you're not too big on social anyway. I'm you're, horrible you're at a, social. You, I'm so bad at it. You're busy it's enough time, as it is. Time, um, time, and we're fortunate that we we haven't really needed the extra marketing. But um, maybe that will be a New Year's resolution to be better at social in 2021. Uh, maybe, so we'll, maybe we'll it's see. not you a good You can word. follow. You can. You can. <laughs> it's not a good year. Uh, you can follow me on uh, Tyler Borns on Instagram and Tyler Borns or Borns Productions on on Facebook and. Maybe I'll start posting again. Maybe you'll see some new content. We'll see. But we'll all right, cool. We'll see. <laughs> thank you, sir. Cool, thank you. All right, bye.